You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have Horacio Aceves, who is the assistant director for Trio Upward Bound at Occidental College, also known as Oxy. Horacio is on the podcast to talk about his own personal journey, his educational journey, experience in college, and why he decided to serve the TRIO Upward Bound program. So coming up in just a bit, Horacio Aceves. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Rosario Riley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Dr. Jamie Motley, Angelica Valdez, Felicia Rivera, Jaded Electronics, TRIOjoblist.com, Nosotros Education Center, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to Patreon and search for Let's Talk Trio. Choose one of four patron levels. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. If you own a business and would like to run an ad on our podcast, send us a message at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Become a supporter with a one-time donation to the podcast PayPal account. Our handle is at Let's Talk Trio. That handle one more time is at Let's Talk Trio. Any amount is truly appreciated. If you would like to nominate a participant, staff, alumni, or advocate to be on the podcast, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Again, a great episode featuring our guest, Horacio Aceves from the Trio Upper Ground Program at Occidental College. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is an alum of the Trio Upward Bound program at Occidental College. He earned his bachelor's degree in diplomacy and world affairs from Occidental College, also known as Oxy, and he earned his master's of science in leadership and management from the University of Laverne. He worked for Partners in School Innovation and America program in San Jose, California, and is now serving as the associate director for Trio Upward Bound at Oxy. In addition, he is the public relations chair for the West Up region. In his free time, our guest enjoys attending LA Dodgers and LA Kings games, traveling, 
hanging out with coworkers and friends, cooking at home, which I'm going to ask him, which uh, is uh, one of his favorite recipes, and taking it easy on the weekends. Welcome to the podcast, Horacio Aceves. Horacio, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Juan, and everybody at your team there in the Colorado, in the state of Colorado. How are things in California? Uh, things are good in California. Um, I don't think summer has left us because oh, no? this this back week has been super. I'm gonna say super hot because it's almost the end of October and it's mm-hmm. still in the early. It's still in the low 90s oh, still in the low, city. Okay. So. Maybe for some of our true colleagues out in the Inland Empire, where it's more dry and it's more desert, mm-hmm. it's probably like 100 degrees for them right now. Whoa, okay. You know, I do miss the California weather from time to time, but you telling me that it's still in the 90s, like, I'm still, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm glad in, I'm in Colorado. Uh, but uh, I don't know if I shared this with you originally. I, I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born there, and then my family decided to move move us around a bit. But I think that the only critique I get from California is that the traffic is bad. Um, but you know that could be anywhere in the country. Uh, Denver and the I twenty five is pretty is just as awful. But yeah, just know California is usually on my mind. <laughs> uh, the traffic has not gotten any better. Probably it's, no. <laughs> it's you see traffic seven days a week uh-huh. after the Dodger game, before the Dodger game, oh, or any other. Before, after any sports games, <laughs> and you should just expect traffic. So always leave 15 yep. minutes early if you gotta be somewhere on time. Absolutely, that's a good piece <laughs> of advice. Uh, have you ever been to Colorado? Um, fun joke. Um, I have been to Denver twice. Once only at the airport because I was on a layover. Um, <laughs> okay. And the second time, I actually got um my. My the first leg of my flight took it over an hour to leave because of um they had to manually count like their suitcases oh. that were going under the plane, and so uh-huh. I missed my connection in Denver, and oh. I was flying to Burbank Airport and I missed the last flight to Burbank, so I got stuck in Denver for the night, oh. and because it was the airline's fault, uh-huh. um you know it was really easy to oh here's click on the link pick your hotel. Yeah. Um, here's some vouchers so you can eat at the hotel. And I spent the night at, um, it was like at a Hyatt, um, mm-hmm. not too far from Denver Airport. So it was during your snow season. So the freeway was covered in snow. Oh my gosh, you, know, you got here in snow season. I, I was at a hotel where uh-huh. um, there was a, I think it's the light rail um, that y'all have that goes mm-hmm. to the airport. So, I, so. I, yeah, could, yeah. I could see the light rail from the back of my hotel. And uh-huh. it was pretty. I mean, I didn't get to actually enjoy enjoy Denver, but mm. I can say that I at least left the Denver airport. Okay, so you left. <laughs> you enjoyed. You enjoyed parts of Denver, which is which is still great. Did you get to see our uh, infamous Lucifer, our our horse that uh, greets our um, airport arrivals and departures at the airport? Um, I don't remember seeing no. Horse. I was... It's like a horse statue, and like it has like. A, so the designer was like, I don't know what what uh, what they were thinking, but they had a horse statue up with a, a uh, with an eye that glows red. That's what I was, I've been told. I'm like, I've seen the horse um, a couple times, but mm. I I I must have missed it. Right. Um. So you 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 said earlier you would love attending uh, Dodgers games, LA Kings games. You love traveling. Uh, how did all that come for you? Well, how did you develop an interest in? Uh, let's 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 talk about the Dodgers. Like, yeah, how did how did you become a Dodgers fan? 
Um, I would say I've been going to Dodger games. It's what's for me. It's one. It's one. I'm I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and so I think it's also uh, it's part of your. I think Latino upbringing sometimes in mm, Los Angeles, yeah. where mm-hmm. um, if you're if your family has the resources to take you to a Dodger game, then it's possible. Right. Because I mean, again, I'm um, forty. I'm going on forty three, and oh, so yeah. Dodger games were still very affordable back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was. Um, I remember seeing um, for all my baseball fans out there. Um, I remember seeing Daryl Strawberry playing for the New York Mets. No way. When he was um, a baseball player, mm. um, when he was playing for the Mets, and people would shout out Daryl and like taunt him in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, um, when family members would come from Guadalajara, Mexico to visit, they would be like, oh, I want to go to a Dodger game because I've never been. And so mm-hmm. obviously, as a, in a Latino family, like, okay, well, here are the days. When are we going? And yeah, so yeah, yeah. you have to drop everything and you're all of a sudden at the Dodger game on a random weeknight. Wow. Um, but it was a regular thing, I would say, in our household, uh, watching them. Um, I have friends who are in base who are into the Dodgers, so from coworkers, past and present coworkers at Upper Bound. Um, some of our, you know, in in trio and some of our student development, um, some of our research development, um, we have to raise funds for the association. So in SoCal, um, in West Up SoCal, at least that's our kind of go to. Um, sporting event that you know is easy for us to kind of like raise oh, funds for cool. the association. That's wonderful. Um, I'm super close to actually to Dodger Stadium, so it's not like you have to be in a car and get stuck in traffic right. <laughs> for hours and hours. <laughs> at least you could. We, at least we know how to take like the back streets. And okay. On the flip side, we're actually really lucky that Oxy or Occidental College is like. You jump on the freeway and it's like two exits from campus. Oh wow! And so uh, for us, at least, also in our upper bound program, um, we make it a cultural event um, because that way we can take the students to a Dodger game, That's and awesome. it's part of our summer program tradition. It's um, it's almost a tradition. Like if the schedule doesn't work out, then we'll try to find other stuff to do. But we like to take the students to a Dodger game mm-hmm. because even in twenty twenty three, in the times that we're in, um, a lot of students still don't still are telling us oh this is my first time going to a Dodger game wow yeah like either my parents are so busy or I think some students won't tell you like oh we don't have money to go mm-hmm. but um for you know we still see students who it's the first time going to the Dodger game and all of our target schools in Upper Bound are like neighboring Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. but yet our students can't access the the history of it Mm-hmm. Not just, I mean, I think a lot of the students know about the, I just want to go see like Clayton Kershaw or Max Muncy mm-hmm. or my favorite player, Chris Taylor from Virginia Beach. Um, and it seems like elusive almost to them because you mm-hmm. can literally hear like you, if you live in the neighborhood across from the LA River, you can hear like the sound. It's like that close. Mm, wow. Um, but I think, Dodger games are, if you don't like to go to like happy hour after work or go to a dinner after work and things like that, then a Dodger game is always a good option to go to after work. Oh, that sounds like fun. Um, So (laughs) now I have to ask, because you say you also love cooking or you like to cook. Uh, What is your go-to recipe? What is the something, was it something that you like to cook? Like you got it. 
I'm glad you definitely asked this. Um, it's come up <laughs> as a as an icebreaker in West Stop Board and Service Council meetings. Um, I I don't make it often. Um, but when I get into it, um, I like to make like chicken tinga. Um, mm. Oh, that sounds interesting. I make it. Um, um, one of my aunts um first introduced me to it, and she was like, "It's pretty much just like shredded white chicken." Or you could do brown meat chicken. I like mm-hmm. white. I like breast meat chicken only. So I'm pretty picky. I'm like picky that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, it's a tomato sauce base. Um, you put chipotle peppers in it. Like Ooh. not the adobo sauce that um mm-hmm. comes in the can. You have to like drain it out, and mostly use like the adobo peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you make your tomato sauce like that. You um you mix it up with the chicken to put in like simple terms. You shred the chicken. Um, you mix it up in the in the adobo sauce or that your tomato sauce that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, once everything is like getting soaked up, you put um like sliced onions on top. So the sliced onions. The idea is this is what my aunt told me when you make it. The idea is not the not for the onions to cook amongst the chicken. But so they can sweat and go get translucent. And Ooh. the onions are just sitting at the top of the chicken. Oh. And you you can, um, it's pretty hearty. So I would get like um, thicker thicker tostadas that they sell at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the kind of thin ones, um, which are very useful. But there's thicker tostadas that they sell in the grocery store here in yeah. LA. And, or in our cultural markets. And those are the ones you kind of want to get. It's very simple. You, I like it like that. Um, like in a typical Latino household, um, people like to put lettuce or uh, crema mexicana on top mm. or cheese and things like that. So that's what I, if I'm like, oh my God, I have nothing to do. Let, let me get the chicken that's on sale and then I'll make this in a couple of days. There you um, go. I, I made it for, um, I made it for, I think, a potluck at work. Mm-hmm. Um, one time we took our students on your senior retreat um, for our Upward Bound students, and I made it um, for the Upward Bound students, too. So Wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's, you sound like you're a very talented cook. Like, you have, like, that specialty, but you uh, – yeah, that's wonderful. I, I love to hear that. Um, I'm, I'm luckily, like, in our office. Um, it's funny. Mm-hmm. We all bring our own food every single day. So once in a while, we'll coordinate, like, ahead of time, like, Y'all, I'm kind of over bringing food. Like, let's go out, like, on a particular day. But for uh-huh. the most part, um, I don't mind. I, I try to do basic stuff, mm-hmm. um, like some chicken, some rice, or, you know, a piece of lomo and some rice fried beans. Mm, there you and, go. And, you know, keeping it easy. Right on. So follow-up yeah. question. On your non-cooking days, wh- what spot do you like to go to? You know, I'm going to be honest to everybody out there in Trio. Um, if I don't have plans <laughs> after work, I, huh. I'm i fine with this. I just want to come home mm. and oh, no, change. Maybe put on my a Dodgers t-shirt or like the gym <laughs> shorts and a t-shirt and just like, I just want to like chill. You just want to chill. And because you know what, Juan, like either um, maybe since I, since before when I was um, West Up SoCal president, or even mm-hmm. I was a PR chair, I still find myself like if I don't open my laptop, sometimes I can't resist, but like check my email or mm, oh I feel that or 
or uncheck it on my phone because the only accounts I have on my phone are my work email and my personal email. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. have the PR chair email and I have another email account for Westop that I watch. So, you know, I'm always tempted to be like, well, has anybody said anything about like the Westop Lister email I just sent out? Because right mm-hmm. now we're in conference time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, is anybody replying late at night? Sometimes I'll be like, I'm just going to wait till tomorrow morning. Yeah. But um, honestly, like here at home, I like to be tidy and stuff like that. So if I see my, that my room is a mess or I like to fold, I just have to like fold stuff and keep stuff organized. Um, If there's no food at home being made or if I'm not feeling what's here at home, then I'll make myself something else. I like to really take control of sometimes the situation, whether it's making sure that my room is clean, um, what's in the kitchen. Oh, let me just make my own stuff. So that way I can, you know, take my lunch to go so I can not spend money around campus. Okay. So you're, you are one budget conscious and just uh, being aware of like, you don't, you don't like to eat out, out that much is what I'm hearing and mm-hmm. staying in is, is preferred. Okay. No, I, I feel that. I feel yeah. that. I mean, uh, I, I'm budget conscious because I do have a, a spending habit on Nike shoes. So, <laughs> oh, got you. <laughs> maybe okay. once in a while I'm leaving work early because I have to go pick up my order at the Nike store. Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Horacio, we're almost done with this year. We're recording this episode in October. What have you accomplished this year? And what is something that you have yet to accomplish? I, um, I mean, okay, I guess I'll give a few examples. Um, I think finishing off a program year for Upward Down is always a success. Always. And so at Oxy Upward Down, we were one of those old school June 1 programs. Mm. And so our fiscal year or our programming year ends on May 30th or May 31st, whatever, oh, wow. how, however many days May has. Right. And so, um, you know, that's the same month we get to celebrate our seniors and then going off to college and um, starting our, our summer program. And so um, I think having another, closing out another successful academic year or a program year with um, Oxy Upper Bound. Um, we've been around since 1965, so wow, I'm very proud to be. Thanks. I'm very proud to be proud to be of a of a of a trio program that's been around for such a long time. Um, I don't take it lightly. Sometimes I can be very rigid in the office, um, but that's my personality. I think in upper bound, um, I'm very proud of um, again having another summer program, um, but more than just you have to do a summer program. So I wouldn't tap myself on the shoulder for that, but we did have a college fair on campus. Um, we invited about, um, um, I would call them friends of Upper Bound. So we invited um, Cal State LA Upper Bound, mm-hmm. uh, Telaco Upper Bound, uh, LMU Upper Bound, and Pasadena City College Upper Bound. And we told them, hey, we're having, we're planning on having this college fair. Um, come to campus and bring your students. And those are all of those programs showed up. Um, plus our students. And we had a college fair in the middle of Occidental College. And um, we had about 30 to 40 different college universities come out from community college to Cal State's UCs, mm-hmm. um, private schools. Um, I think Colorado State University is part of the um, RAC Consortium. Oh, so right. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Have, they may have been there, but like Iowa and University of New Mexico and 
Syracuse University and all of these colleges were here. And when you put on a big event like that, um, it can be very stressful. And so certainly I'm like, reps are calling you or emailing you saying like, oh, can I make sure to have a tent? Because it's going to be hot. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's summer. Of course, it's going to be hot. Yeah. But, you know, you have to accommodate for these folks who are coming to spend their time. And I thought it was super amazing. Um, all of the students, um, I think, really had a good time. We had, like, tea and lemonade from campus and cookies. Um, and we took a really big picture um, at the end before all of the students left. And so if you visit our, um, I think it's on our website. If you visit our Oxy Upperbound website, the picture of all of the students um, um, in all of their different Upperbound t-shirts, I thought that was really cool because our students were in their own t-shirts. The other trio programs had their students in their own t-shirts. So you could see like the difference in like all of the programs there. And the funny thing was, is like somebody had to like jump in the fountain to take the picture so they could all fit. Yeah. And I oh, automatically wow. kind of just ended up the one going into the fountain and rolling oh my gosh. shorts. Yeah. And I literally had to like step in the fountain and the water was cold, but I mean, you know, and my director Oswaldo was like counting them off to take a picture and also kind of take like a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would say the only other thing I would say is um, I finished grad school back in May. Congratulations. And so, um, yeah, that was my two year journey of um, going back to school at 41 or whenever I started and um, working on my master's program. I you know, researched a little bit during the time of the pandemic when we were having to not to work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, asking my couple of my trio colleagues, like, well, what do you think about... Actually, one of them was in Colorado, by the way. Oh. Um, University of Denver has an online school called University mm-hmm. School or something like that. Yeah, And it was going to be an all-online all program. Um, and then there was University of Laverne. And I asked one of my colleagues in Central California... Um, hey, what do you think? Like, which one would you do? Because the price difference wasn't very much. And he was like, go with Laverne because it has more business classes. Mm-hmm. And the leadership and management program at Laverne, um, all of the courses are in management. And so I was like, cool, that's going to be different. But, um, and obviously when you could think of retrospect, you're like, why was it so much harder while I was doing it? But um the program was great. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I did my capstone project on the progress of Latinos in higher education, and I had and I intertwined some first generation aspects as much as I could. But of course, I thought I'm like I could have done a better job. But I'm very happy with my performance in grad school. I got the best grades in grad school compared to my Oxy experience because mm-hmm. I'm also an alumni of Occidental College, and so. Um, my oxy grades and my grad school grades are completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think I'm very fortunate to work for an upper bound program that gave me like the time and the grace to leave work early or say, you know, I am, I need to go do this, you know, can you give me some time? Um, but over, I think it's been a successful year because we're pushing through with our students um, we're looking forward to, you know, first generation day next month. Um, mm-hmm. we have a board of trustee member coming from campus, um, wow. a sociology professor coming to share his story from growing up in Northeast LA, um, in the hood. That's what I would say. Um, 
and going to Harvard. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, and bringing those stories to our students because that's what I like. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes it's not a workshop. Sometimes it's not a presenter coming that you paid them to show up. It's about showing them real-life examples that it's not us in the office. And so they can really kind of, like, get the message and see themselves in other people's shoes. Absolutely. So we're definitely not done. I think it's been a great year overall. Like, I I want to complain sometimes, but, you know, <laughs> we're working, we're making an impact. And so can I complain? Yes. But should I complain? No. You know? Gotcha. <laughs> totally understandable. Um, my next question to you is, what is something that people don't know about you? Like, they see Horacio as the assistant director for Upward Bound. But what is something they don't know about you outside of Upward Bound? Um... I think some people at Upper, I, I would say some people at Upper Bound and Oxy in general or in, in Trio is um, I'm a very, I'm an introvert. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, so, I, I wouldn't have guessed. I wouldn't have guessed. And you can, you can let me know too, but I, I like to keep to myself. Mm. Um, I like to just chill in my room and, you know, if I wasn't in, on this podcast with you, I'd be watching the soccer game on USA. Okay. Um, but um, I'm very like, you know, if I don't have anything to check on my phone or if I don't have, you know, if I don't have any follow-up texts to, you know, hit up people, like, I will just put my phone on the side and not, like, not pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like, if the light goes on, like, okay, like, who texted me or, like, what's up? Um, and I'm very reserved in a way where, like, I just want to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the being me is like, I like to do my own thing. Um, I like to make my own plans and just like step out on the weekends. Um, I, um, yeah, I think in, in the professional setting, you see a very different Horacio and at home in the personal, you see the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I'm in a West Up conference, for example, I, I put myself out there. I, you know, try to reconnect with familiar faces or make sure people feel welcome, especially if it's their first West Up conference or even going to COE in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. if there's opportunities to volunteer or, you know, be in other spaces, um, I try to make people feel welcome and put myself out there because when I started first working in Trio, like, I was anxious and nervous about being in front of directors and mm-hmm executive this and assistant dean this and things like that and even on Mm -hmm. campus um it's the same way like you know even though you'd go to a small school like oxy you know i would feel intimidated and like stay like six feet away from like the dean or you know that person who meets with the president and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but nowadays like you know i say hello to the dean i go up to him and i shake his hand and i say hey rob how's it going like what how's your how's your kid doing um he recently had like a baby with him and his wife. So I like mm. to ask him about his kid and uh, I feel more connected as I get more comfortable and can ask you, Oh, how are you doing? Like, or crack a joke and things like that. Yeah. Um, but um, I think my rigidness from work also translates to here at home. And so like, um, again, if something is dirty, like I like to make sure that I clean on the weekends 
that my laundry is done on the weekends, that I, I trade out my sheets on the weekends, mm-hmm. um, that I'm just, uh, I, I think I like, I put in my bag, I like to just keep it like low key. Yeah. Like, I know there's some nights where like, you have to put effort into, I would say for me, putting effort into just hanging out and being present and having a good time and not thinking about work. Like sometimes that takes effort on my part mm-hmm. because I could, easily be at the bar like before we go to the Kings game, for example, and, you know, be checking my email because mm-hmm. I'm concerned about like, Oh, I still haven't heard from so-and-so and that show first generation day is coming up or this is coming up. And like, let me check my email real quick. Um, and my coworkers would tell me like, dude, like take a step back. Like we're hanging out here. <laughs> we're about to walk over to crypto or Staples center. And um, like, enjoy yourself and i think yeah. sometimes it it takes work for me to enjoy myself and be in the moment sometimes okay i'm I'm curious Horacio. for a lot of schools uh the, after the pandemic happened back in 2020 they've had to quickly adopt to virtual environments um i'm curious has your campus adopted post-pandemic and i know it, it's still technically happening because you know you still have covid mm-hmm. cases um but post i'll say post lockdown i'll say that i'll say it like that um has your co- campus adopted virtual meetings as an option for students or do you still all prefer one-on-one i would say um for our targets for working with the upper bound students um no everything is completely in person mm-hmm. um you know because we are going into the fall um because um it's you know for some people either the flu is going to get you or, um, which, you know, I got my flu shot last week. So I was like, I'm not going to wait any much longer. Um, I, um, I also, I'll still wear a mask when I'm, um, in an indoor closed space when I, when we go to the schools, mm-hmm. um, we're in front, if we're in front of the students, um, I try to take a mask with me, but if I don't have one, um, I'll just say like, oh, whatever, well, whatever, or I'll grab a mask like at the schools and, you know, like you said, we're still going through it, or some people consider it post-pandemic. Um, our schools at the entrances or in some offices have masks, they have hand sanitizer. So mm-hmm. I definitely take advantage of that. Um, but um, everything that we do with our students um, at the school sites is fully in-person. We have in-person Saturday sessions only. Um, we just went on our campus tour yesterday to Azusa Pacific University. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to former West Top past president Armando Bustos, who hosted our campus tour yesterday. And um, is it, I mean, is life back to normal? I would say no, because um, we were doing a school site visit at one of our local schools and we saw one of our students, like she was like in the quad area and it's right across from the counseling office and some of the, like the attendance office. And we were like, are you okay? And I noticed in her hand, she had a COVID strip test and I knew exactly what was going on. And I was like, "Um, are you okay? She was like, no, I had to go home. And I was like, do you mind if I look at your test strip? And I could see like the little line going across. And and what I've learned um, at least in fall semester, and I'm glad we saw her was um, in LAUSD, the students do have to go home if they do test positive for COVID. You have to go home for those, stay home for those five days. On the sixth day, you have to start testing, and if you don't get the negative, if you don't get a positive reading, then you can come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have set up a system where 
the students have to log into a website um, through their student account and um, log in their positive reading so that they're, I guess, somehow it's supposed to translate to their teachers finding out and um, that way they can send them work to stay active or not fall behind. Um, mm-hmm. On, I would say for at Occidental College, being in student, Upward Bound is housed in student affairs. And so um, in up in on campus, everything is back in person. Um, you know, our monthly student affairs meetings are back in person, um, you know, and people like to wear a mask and those that don't, don't. But um, I like to have my mask on the side, except if I'm eating. Um, we always have breakfast at those student affairs meetings. So when it's come down to eating and hanging out with folks before the meeting starts, um, I won't have my mask on. But it, as the meeting is going on, and I'm like looking up and paying attention. Um, I have to have my mask on. Um, I make sure to take a mask with me from the office if I go up to campus. And if I want to go to the mail room or, you know, they're college students and you don't know where the college students are going or where they're coming right. and going. And so, or what's happening on the weekend. So um, I'd rather be safe. Um, I got COVID earlier back in January and it just, it felt a little bit different that time mm-hmm. um, because um, there was one day where I was feeling good, but the rest of the day, it was just like, just tiredness or something like that. Mm, yeah. um, but um, I would say a hundred percent, you know, COVID is still being recognized um there's testing options luckily i work at a campus where you if you're not feeling well they they actually encourage you to go up to the health center and take a rapid test and they'll support you like they'll send you the notification if you get if you get a positive reading they'll give you the instructions on the timelines and everything like that um they'll notify work your your supervisor for you or let you know or ask you you know, who have you been in contact on campus, like within the past couple of days or something? So um, our campus has actually done a really great job. Um, they're trying to bring back um, uh, a vaccine uh, um, pop-up so people can get the COVID vaccine. But first they focus on like the flu shots. So um, that's, they've actually been really supportive and, and recognizing that it's not gone away. Yeah, that's very important. Horacio, so this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to rewind the clocks back a bit. Um, can you talk to us about your uh, your upbringing and what it was like for you to grow up in your household? Oh, wow. Um, I would say it was very, like, humble. Um, for lack of a better word, things were very, like, basic. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in... Um, I've only lived in two places. Um, and so, and the same, like, zip code adjacent. Um, and so, um, I've always lived in East LA um, my entire life, except for when I moved up to the Bay Area after college. That's the only time where I didn't um, live um, in LA. Um, I would say, like, super humble beginnings um, super growing humble. up. Um, I remember in my house, um, I don't know exactly if um, we were ever like on welfare or on government assistance, but I remember like the silver cans of peanut butter. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if, you know, it may vary by age, but y'all in trio, like when you grew up, like, I think if you had that silver can of peanut butter that had USDA at the outside of it, 
um, you know, either we received it at our own household or our neighbor, or maybe it was a, a food giveaway um, because food giveaways weren't a thing back in the day. Um, oh, yeah, you yeah. had to you had to go to the office and either pick up the groceries or however it happened. Um, but I remember the silver can of um, peanut butter, and I was like, you know, I, I think at one time, I think growing up, you don't realize that line that we were poor, or maybe poor isn't the right word to use, but you just were at a certain level of a socioeconomic status, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you, that doesn't click to you. Um, but, um, you know, we lived in an all one unit duplex, so we lived on the top and there was a family that lived on the bottom, um, really cool family lived downstairs. So it was always like super chill and we always had like a little open cement area. And so Mm. we never played like outside on the street. Um, Mm -hmm. well, we would gather with like the other neighborhood kids and, um, because the corner, the street around us was kind of like a cul-de-sac and then the main street led up to the cul-de-sac up to the freeway. So it was like a cool place to kind of like throw the football or people would skateboard and like lay flat facing down on the skateboard and go down the street, like probably not safe. But <laughs> as a kid, you're not thinking about that. Like, you could bust right. your face. Um, um, and um, I'll never forget this. Um, so my grandpa would come and visit with us once in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, my voice may crack a little bit because it's, I think, emotional to me. It's okay. Right now. Um, so my gra- grandpa would come once a week and um, he would, um, at the end of the day, because um, he lived um, out in um, the Indian Empire. So he would take the bus all the way to visit us. And um, one time he gave me, well, he would give us a dollar every time. It was like our domingo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like the middle of the week. And so um, it was kind of like an allowance. And I wanted to take my dollar and go to the liquor store and go get like <laughs> a candy, some chips, you know. Yeah. A dollar yeah. went far back in the day. Um, and my parent, my dad told me like, no, like, no, you can't go to the store. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what time of day it was, but he told me no. And I got upset. And so I threw the dollar in the trash because he didn't let me spend the dollar. Mm-hmm. And I'm not thinking like, of course, maybe he's subliminally trying to tell me like, just go tomorrow or put it away. Mm-hmm. But I threw the dollar in the trash and that like turned into a whole thing and my my dad took a spatula and he hit me on the hand. Mm. And I don't get upset um, about. It's not a tricky moment for me to um, to talk about that or anything because you know, um, growing up, like we were growing up in a time where like our parents like slapped us across the hand and stuff like that, Absolutely. not in a bad way. Right. But um, in a hey, like get it together, right? Um, and so um, yeah, it's just um, I just something I remember. It's so vivid, like it happened yesterday, Juan. But um, yeah, um, and I always remember my parents growing up. 
I was, we were fortunate enough that both of my parents always worked. Mm. Um, you know, both of my parents worked um, like in a factory setting. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom assembled um, office parts, like um, hole punchers and staplers and things like that. Um, and my dad did like um, the electro polishing of like metal parts mm. and things like that. From very small to very big tubes, like that were eventually used at like the construction of airports or buildings and things like that. But it was oh, the, right, right, right. the nitty gritty of making the metal look nice for for the final delivery of where it's going and so um someone would always take care of us so for us it was either my aunt or one of the neighbors who also had kids at the school that we were going to and so um whenever our parents um left for work there was always somebody that um was there in the morning um or um was there in the afternoon when we got home and we were always able to get rides from our friends because we all lived in the same neighborhood and the school wasn't like very far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, like I said earlier, one time we moved, um, again, not too far, it was like zip code adjacent. Um, and I still live on the same street since like 19, 1987, 1988. Mm-hmm. And so we've been on this street for a really long time. Currently, we live across the street from an elementary school, so um, it's it's a super chill neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. It's semi a main street, so usually during the week or um, in the evening time, there's a lot of traffic um, or cars coming up and down the street. But um, the neighborhood is your um, average uh, Latino neighborhood where, um, you know, there's a gentleman who runs the liquor store down the street who is... Um, making his actual store look look nice with a nicely paved driveway um, and things like that. So the neighborhood is super chill and accommodating. Um, there are some newer places that, I mean, you could consider gentrification or not, but, um, you know, six, $7 cold brews, <laughs> which um, I, I try not to buy, but I realize they're also a small business and the people are nice. So, yeah. I do it once in a while. Um, but I think my upgrading has always been like, um, when I look back at it, nothing, I've never missed, I've never, There's everything has always been available to me. Mm-hmm. Nothing has ever lacked. Mm-hmm. I've never lacked housing. I've never lacked like food. Um, you know, I've, I've never lacked like family or the presence of other people. Um, so, you know, I've been super fortunate. Um, um, yeah. One, that's wonderful. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this kind of reflection question on you and say, how would your family describe you? Uh, um, I think they would describe me more as an introvert for sure. Mm-hmm. Describe um, you as an introvert? Okay. Yeah, they would describe me as quiet, reserved. Um, I'm not very, like, super chatty. Um, I don't... Um, I I don't like cheese or I don't like gossip. Uh, and in a Latino household, um, I my parents are both Mexican-American. Um, you know, you still... Well, at least my mom definitely stays in touch with relatives in Mexico, and obviously they're telling her like what's happening and things like that. 
And mm-hmm. so they just want to tell her, like, girl, why are you getting involved? Like, <laughs> everything is happening, like, uh, however far Guadalajara is, like, a it's thousand pretty far, hours, right? Yeah. A thousand or a two and a half hour flight. But, um, and like, what are you talking about? And I just try to, <laughs> everybody has their own thing. I'm not a phone call kind of person unless I have to. Um, I prefer communicating via text, but I would say they're, they would say I'm very like quiet and reserved. Um, um, I would say maybe I manage certain things okay. Like, um, um, just connecting with the outside world if like um, there's an issue with the garbage or um, maybe a neighbor blocking the street or, um, you know, reaching out to get help maybe from like the county regarding an issue or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to have this um, job with Upper Bound where, you know, I have a retirement plan and I have these, you know, benefits and things like that that I've taken advantage of. So right, right. maybe they see me as a person that like, um, like, hey, what is this paper that, um, you know, they're sending a picture of your house and it says, oh, we could sell your house. Mm. <laughs> and mm. I'm just like, no, throw that away. Like, that's trash. Like, mm. don't pay attention to it. Um, you know, or just because it says, like, open immediately, like, it's just junk mail, like, stop. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, I would maybe not as secretive. Maybe I'm just not forthcoming with certain things. Mm. Um, you know, I... You know, when I was 28, I came out to my mom. But other than maybe some of my coworkers, that's the only family member that I've actually like sat down and said it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom sees me as like the go-to person. Um, and even in my master's program, I was really secretive about that. Like, Mm. um, I didn't, I really didn't let anybody know I, I went back to school. Um, all I think they would notice is like, I would close my door, um, and just not come out for several hours Mm -hmm. because that was a day that paper was due or, I would come home from work early because I had to jump on Zoom at like six o'clock and be on Zoom for like an hour and a half or two. Um, and I'm going to be very truthful with everybody. Like I didn't, um, I didn't tell my mom or my family that I was about to graduate from Laverne until like the month of May. Oh, wow. And, um, wow. My graduation was Memorial Day weekend. And so I knew I had to say eventually let them know because mm-hmm. I can't just drop this on them like the weekend before so we can all go to the graduation. Like maybe I let them know early May and the graduation was again, like I said, on Memorial Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So I think for some of for those examples, I would say like um I'm very reserved, quiet, not shy, but um I really like to just keep to myself. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you felt about school in your early years, like elementary? What did you feel about school? What was your feeling towards school? 
I thought school was chill. Um, you know, I am the school that's a question from us. I went there from second through sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I liked it when it was like probably reading time or your hour of art and things like that. Um, you know, by the third and the fourth grade, um, I remember being kind of like good at math. And so the the teacher would like have those timetable worksheets where like it was the number three and it was three times every single number and you had to like be timed yeah, and yeah, yeah. it would be like three times one, three times two, three times three and so on and so on and so on. And I was really good at that. And I, I would maybe, my sheets were all done by, you know, ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, was I considered gifted? No, because I don't think I was able to like pass the test like that. You know, which little square has the most dots and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, those, uh, <laughs> tests. <laughs> Cause I remember sitting in an office and I'm like, oh, well, they're giving me a test. Like, okay. But like, I was never in the magnet program here in LAUSD. Mm-hmm. I was always a regular traditional residential student. And then the magnet program, that's where the gifted students fall, mm-hmm. at least in LAUSD. And you can apply through an application and see which programs are available with you in the district. Mm-hmm. But I just went to my local school, like all, all my upbringing. Um, and at that school was really fun. Um, and in elementary school, um, in middle school, you it was different, of course, because you're going from class to class where you actually get to, or you have an English teacher and you have this subject teacher, like your history teacher, your science teacher. And that was, I thought that was super chill. Um, I was going to middle school in here in LA um, during the time of, um, I forget what proposition it was because there was one in middle school and there was one in high school, but around the time of Prop 187 and Prop 209, um, 209 was around affirmative action in public universities and colleges. Prop 187 had to do with, um, I'd have to do my research and get back to you, but yeah. I think it was about language or um, something being held from non-residents or mm. something having to do with, it was something against people of color mm-hmm. um, because it was that type of legislation. And um, I remember in middle school, the students were really upset. And I don't know how this got organized, but there was a walkout in middle school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the students, we literally got up from whatever class we were at and we tried to leave campus. But um, in the main doors, um, the the staff was like blocking the doorway. And I, there wasn't anybody Whoa. who yeah. wanted to like force the issue. And so... Mm-hmm we kind of like continue to walk out of class, but um, we were kind of like just gathering in like the little quad area where like all of the students eat lunch and something like that. So nobody got in trouble um, or anything like that. I think the administration just saw that like, you know, like any college student or, or at your student in high school or whatever, um, you we wanted to express our issue at the time and mm-hmm say that this was wrong and not like not fair um and and anything even my high school experience was was good too um granted that's a big jump I think that I noticed like my mom would tell me the first day of high school like oh don't tell anybody you don't have a phone because then they're gonna make fun of you um mm-hmm. because my, my my mom didn't want us 
giving her phone number away, but it wasn't cool to say that you don't have a phone. So, um, you know, those little tips from parents, but um, my high school experience was great. I, I had a friend who um, I would get a ride with because high school is a little bit farther from here. Mm -hmm. um, I went to high school um, at one of our target schools that Upperbound still serves. And oh, wow. so I'm also an alum of Oxy Upper Downs. And so mm -hmm. um, ninth grade was like, oh my God, what, like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, this is okay. Like I was able to manage and things like that. And um, I think there was definitely a, a change in 10th grade. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if there's anything I could really like pinpoint to whether it was getting better or not, but um in 10th grade was a, was when I saw the Upper Bound presentation in the library. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I have to sign up. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to live in a dorm and they're going to give me this. They're going to give me that. And obviously in high school, all you hear is that. Like, oh, I get to do this. I get to do that. Mm -hmm. They're going to take me to the Dodger game. They're going to take me to the beach. Um, I get to go to this college I've never been to. Like, I don't even know where this is at. Um, and I ended up applying and I ended up getting accepted into Upper Bound in the 10th grade. Wow. Yeah. Um, and um, I always liked my high school. I think I, everything was really like chill. Um, I came across in high school. Um, she was an Oxy alumni from uh, a particular year, mm -hmm. uh, not to give her age out, but um, her name was Miss <laughs> Rodriguez. And Miss Rodriguez ended up being my Spanish teacher at Wilson. Oh, at Wilson wow. High School. And mm. so um, she was an Oxy alumni. And so when it came to senior year at Wilson, she actually helped me with my Aussie application because it was back on paper back in the day. And so there were short answer questions that you had to answer. Um, and I was sitting in tutoring after school and she was one of the teachers who would do tutoring after school. So I was like, hey, Ms. Magicus, can you help me with my Aussie application? Of course, she was like, yes. Um, and um, I think the mixture of upper bound with the connection to college and I think a general kind of like like for school mm -hmm. was like, you know, this is not bad, you yeah. know, because by the time I got to the 11th grade, again, we walked out of high school because of Prop 209. And that was more intense because we actually left campus mm -hmm. and we walked down to um, Lincoln Heights Park at Plaza de la Raza, which is mm -hmm. it's not close. Um, I wouldn't walk from my high school to the park, to Lincoln Heights Park, just because I'm like, I don't want to walk all that. But in high school, you don't care because mm -hmm. you're amongst a group of friends and things like that. Like, I remember walking out of high school, the bell was going to ring or somebody was going to pull the fire alarm. I had a sign with me. And so I had made a sign at home and I took it with me to school. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting it under my seat in, you know, in... In high school, we used to have those those chairs with like the it was like kind of a smooth granite with a blue chair attached to it with a little basket under the mm. chair. Oh, I, I kind of vaguely remember yeah. those. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember putting my poster under the chair, and my English teacher, I'd rather not say her name, but um, she was like, "Oh, what is this?" And I was like, "Oh, it's just a poster." And either I let her grab the poster or she just grabbed it because she mm. wanted to see what was on it. Mm -hmm. um and at the time I didn't think of anything but I would say I shouldn't have let her like grab my poster but I think she ended up seeing like what was written on the poster I mm -hmm. think the teachers knew that the students were going to walk out because 
I think things were happening in general because people were totally opposed to Prop 209 at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the bell rang and we walked out of school and nobody stopped any of the students. We left wow. campus. We walked down the hill from Wilson High School. We walked over to Lincoln Heights Park to Plaza de la Raza. Yeah. Um, there was people, students were speaking. There may have been other students from Lincoln High School because Lincoln High School is um, pretty close. Lincoln High School is also one of our target high schools at Upward Bound. And so I think there was kind of like a general community gathering. And then um, eventually, I'm pretty sure there was like school police or something because we were minors. We were, It was during school time. And so um, once everything was over, we walked back to Wilson High School. And it's a trek because Wilson's on top of a hill. Mm-hmm. And so I remember um, there was cars it was either parents or parent volunteers or staff from the school um a padre from the community like one of the priests was also in the crowd when we were walking back to high school because i think they wanted to make sure that we all got back okay mm-hmm. and so we're walking back to school and um i want to say again we didn't get in- into trouble because i think at the time again it was a time where students really wanted to express themselves and um you know, I and 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 I know that word was definitely out because I want to say there was media around too, um, covering this, and so um, you know, I just the the enjoyment of school and just having it. I guess I don't want to try to say like um, that it should be good for everybody, and that everybody should have access, and that. Sometimes you do have to push against the grain and ask, like, well, why is this like this? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Why should we allow this to happen? And at a young age, like, you don't know that, you know, you get a bunch of signatures on an initiative and all of a sudden it becomes a ballot. At least in California, that's, you know, that's the way it goes. You but you get mm-hmm. a bunch of signatures. Um, some people are more successful than others because money is always an issue in politics. Certainly. And um, I think it was... Um, my first inclination that, you know, I meant to advocate for something, mm. you know, and it, and in my job, I advocate for these students um, in our schools and even for our college students. And mm. as you know, in TRIO, we have to advocate for our, even our own programs as a, as yeah, a community, as a TRIO community. And so mm-hmm. I think um, I've had a, I would say a long tenure of experience, <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> disrupting or just saying like, no, why is this like this? Right. Like I'm going to protest or I'm going to do this. Or, you know, um, the other day, um, you know, COE sent out a letter um, regarding the better FAFSA and how it's being addressed to the secretary of education and COE signed on to it. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the politician in me, you know, um, I downloaded the letter without asking COE or if I'm if I can do this. Um, and I hope I don't get in trouble with COE, but I already did it. Um, I downloaded the letter and I sent it to my um, congressman here in the district, and um, I sent it to the educational aid that we mm-hmm. met with back in and back in March with policy seminar, and I sent it to the. He's like a policy analyst, but um, he's the person. Um, He's an aide from from Congressman Gomez's office when he normally works in D.C., but mm-hmm. he hit us up recently, and I was like, I'm going to be in the L.A. area. Can I come to the Upper Bound office? 
And so he's got like, um, I think he's a legislative analyst or something like that or whatever his title is. And so I sent it, I emailed a letter to two of his people in the office and I wrote him a, I never mean to be nasty, but I just like to, what is the issue? And I want to get to the issue like clear cut because I don't want to waste their time either. Certainly. And so here's what's happening here. I'm attaching this letter. This is a big concern for our families. This is really impact. This is going to have a negative impact on vulnerable families, especially. And I have to throw in our upward bound students. And um, I haven't heard from them. <laughs> and so um, obviously I do it through my personal email account. I don't send it from my work email because you're not supposed to do that. So right. uh, giving that pro tip out to everybody out there. Um, always do stuff with your personal email and the, uh, you know, I can't let this linger. I think if like, if we continue to hear nothing about the FAFSA, I think we need to put pressure on Congress, um, as messy as it is right now, but we have to keep this on our radar because from what I've heard about the better FAFSA, there's, I think, still things that for some of our families who, let's just put it out there, don't trust the government or don't want to put their personal, certain personal information they may not want to create a FAFSA ID for their child to prepare for financial aid. And that's like step mm-hmm. one. And so um, I think, um, I think in general, Juan, education is my niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always been, I think, now that we're talking about it, uh, a political kind of aspect to it. Because if it's not my congressman, I need some elected official coming to our upper-bound events. So whether mm-hmm. it's the state or state assembly woman, um, our county supervisor, um, a U.S. senator, like, y'all need to be here so you can see what is happening in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see these high school students who have to navigate college a different way than the students who have everything available to them in other districts. Wow. So it sounds like your activism uh, and just your, your passion for advocacy really took shape in, in high school. Yeah, I would say, I would say yes, one, because, um, again, like, with Prop 209, um, as students, you, you only know the story from like, what you see on TV, or you only know the story that's what your friend is telling you. And is your friend always telling you like, verbatim what they read? Like, no, they're probably putting their own personal spin to it. Certainly. But um, I... I think I like to tell people like, look, these are the facts. Mm-hmm. You can come to your own conclusion. Um, let's say I'm 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 putting my two cents out there in a chapter meeting. Like I like to put my two cents out there, and hey, let's talk about it. Like afterwards, or if you feel a certain way about something, then let's let's sit and chat after the meeting, or let's connect and let me help you. You know express your thoughts or, you know, do this. Um, Because, I mean, it can go a really long way. Um, You know, I I like to see my colleagues having their elected officials. um, You know, I like to see pictures of, you know, congressmen and senators and, you know, elected officials going to trio events and and seeing what's being done. Because although it is a national education program, like, I think state, local, local officials need to also see like the investment that's happening in these communities 
Absolutely. Uh, going back, I'm going to backpedal a little bit, uh, Horacio. What drew you to the Upward Bound program when you were in high school? What was it about the program that really spoke to you? Um, I mean, I like to say this. I saw the Upper Bound presentation on flip chart <laughs> before <laughs> right. the, before PowerPoint. Um, huh. So, um, no, like, like, like to be super honest, Juan, um, I saw the Upper Bound presentation at the Wilson High School Library, and I saw this gentleman come to Upper Bound. His name was Gilbert Acuna. He was the associate director of Upper Bound. Um, and he worked, um, the director at the time was Susan Madrid-Simon, um, who they both had been in Upper Bound for um, years. Um, and so um, I think, I don't know what clicked in my mind. I think I saw opportunity. I saw something that maybe I could continue my educational after high school. Mm-hmm. Um And I and I think, like a typical upper, like like any trio program, you have to advertise what you're about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the message resonated. I think the fact that, um, you know, at the time, um, we were told the story of like, you know, all of our parents do different jobs from, from cleaning to working in a factory. So, I think there was a personal connection. Mm-hmm. There was a personal connection. There's a personal story being told. And and it just resonated with me because I imagined my my parents, you know, they're the ones working minimum wage to a little bit above minimum wage in these mm-hmm. factory jobs for like forty hours a week. Yeah. And you just assume that everything is fine and dandy and that, you know, um that maybe opportunities are not always gonna come your way. And so I think the personal connection of this story being told in conjunction with Upper Bound Offered and helping you get to college and things like that. Um, I think my liking of school and at the time continue to get comfortable with who I was or mm-hmm. like just liking school and things like that. I was like, it, it's not going to hurt me to sign up or it's not going to hurt me to do the application and do an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, this program is going to help me. Um, I think at the time, um, honestly, when you're a 10th grade in high school, I'm not really sure if you're thinking about college mm-hmm. in such a way that they're presenting it to you. But I knew I wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know where. And the last place I thought I would end up was that I didn't college. Um, <laughs> but as an upper bound participant on the flip side of that, there was just something about the campus. There was something about the um, the connection that the Upper Bound Program had to campus of being there for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, the just just the way that it was. I think um, you know there were Susan and Gilbert, but there was also all of the staff. Mm-hmm. And I think um, your staff is um, your staff makes your program golden because I think that. I can only preach to the choir so much and I don't like to preach to the students. I like to give them the facts that mm-hmm. we're not going to search sugarcoat this, you know, pay attention to this. This is what's happening. And this is what's coming down the line. Mm-hmm. And we need to be paying attention to these things that, you know, we, we need to just give time and grace to, and not just gloss over. Um, 
And um, no, yeah, the I just the way the summer program was set up. And so when I was in Upper Bound, we were completely residential for the entire five weeks. Um, oh, wow. Some students, um, so we had classes Monday through Friday. Um, on Friday nights was when our Friday night activities would happen. We also had activities on Wednesday nights to kind of like de-stress. Mm-hmm. And then the activities continued on into Saturday also. And so you really your participation in Upper Bound was Monday through Saturday. Um, uh-huh. On Sundays, um, if your parent or guardian came and picked you up, you could leave on Sunday from 10 to 4. But you had to be back on Sunday by 4. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had the option to leave on Sunday. And so um, I was like, cool, I'm going to live away from a dorm for um, you know several weeks at a time. Um, I think my, my parents would come and visit sometimes maybe during the week to drop me off something or maybe an outfit for the award ceremony, things like that. But mm-hmm. um, I, I was one of those students that got homesick. And so I was like, yo, this is too much for me. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly wanted to leave like on the second day or maybe it was the first day. But like they tell you in trio, like you stick it out for the week and then you make up your decision. And I want to say I, I never ended up going home on a Sunday. Um, but my parents would were able to come during the week sometimes to drop things off. So it was, um, you know, I I I don't know where what college I would have ended up in in Upward Bounds. Um, again, I I I want to reiterate the connection to the staff because you I would run into the staff like in college, and so I never realized that when I was when my final year of Upward Bound in high school that some of the staff was going to Oxy, mm-hmm. and so I would run into them and have like a general connection, or even in twenty twenty three. Um, funny story, we were recently doing recruitment at Lincoln High School, which is one of our target schools, and I was doing a, uh, the high schools have club fairs or club rush, and I was like, oh, well, um, I'm going to go to club rush and set up an upper bound table, and we're there talking about the program and passing out flyers, advertising that we're going to start doing recruitment, and this lady comes up to me. And she was like, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, no, like, I don't know who you are. In my mind, I'm like, I don't know who you are. Like, who are you? Are you a parent? Mm-hmm. And then she said, no, I was a staff member when you were a student. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God, Maria Medina. And <laughs> and Ms. Medina, um, she was an Oxy grad. But mm-hmm. in one of her years at Oxy, um, she was an RA when I was a student. And so, oh. um, and I have never seen her. I would say in over 20 years, that was my first time seeing her for the second, again, mm-hmm, since mm-hmm. I graduated from Upper Bound, since she graduated from Oxy, we caught up a, real quick. Uh, she's now vice principal at Lincoln High School mm. and she follows us on Instagram. So she sees where we're up to. So we have that like general connection and we totally reconnected at, at Lincoln High School. And so I was like, oh my God, like, I'm so glad you're here. Like, that's so cool that you're a vice principal here now. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I think the upper bound world is always revolving around you mm-hmm. and until you see like the connection. And so 
some of our Upperbound alumni um, from Occidental College at least, um, or Oxy alumni, um, they become teachers or counselors. And so we will run into them either at one of our target high schools or, um, you know, and as they're moving up the ladder, we'll find out that, oh, well, so-and-so's not here anymore. They moved to a different school, but they're still in the LAUSD. So um, again, that Upperbound connection, it'll get you and it'll run into you in the in the, in the moment when you least expect it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that sounds great. Like it sounds, it sounds like you're that, um, and th- I'll just say this upward bound. It sounds like came full circle for you. Uh, you being the assistant director, first being a student going through the program and now being the assistant director, like it really came full circle for you. No. Yeah. One. Um, I mean, and and I think when running into um and I think when you run into parents who have had like multiple kids go through your program, mm-hmm. you know, I think it I think it comes full circle for the parents too. Like when you have a student who, you know, they went through the program, they graduated from high school, now they're in college and they come back to work for us. Mm-hmm. Um we're very fortunate mm-hmm. that um maybe it's the geography of Southern California too, but we have former Oxy Upperbound students, um, and sometimes they go far, but when they see the job posting come out in spring semester, they're like, or sometimes they ask a little early, they're like, oh, when are y'all going to start hiring? Like, I want to come be a tutor, or I want to come become an RA, or I want to, you know, work for the program over the summer. And I'm like, cool, like, our application is going to come out, like, check us out, things like that. Um, the hardest part is, is when you have too many students coming back, to work for you or you have returning staff coming back to work for you, you have to say no to some of your former students. But mm-hmm. um, if they're super enthusiastic and they give a good interview, like I'll, we'll refer them to other upper bound programs and say, you know what? It didn't work out maybe with us or we, you know, we, we didn't have the need or maybe it wasn't a match, but check out this other program and you can still give back to upper bound it's not going to be here where you were in a participant mm-hmm. and you're still going to be able to give the same impact. Um, like sometimes it's not, it doesn't have to be us. Um, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, give back to another upper bound program that sometimes, you know, sometimes we struggle for to get staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, going back to the parent example, you know, you have parents who will become advocates for you at the high school level and um, as a parent, I think it comes full circle for them, too, because they see their kid go through high school. They see them graduate from college and they see them just transcend in in so many ways. And then you have the sibling apply again. And then like, mm. <laughs> the new recently, cycle starts over. And then you said, exactly. Like we had a we recently were doing recruitment again. And I was like, one of the students was like, oh, can you tell my brother and sister that you saw me at the Overbound presentation? And I'm like, wait, what are you asking me to do? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, my sister and so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, why don't you just tell them that you were in the presentation? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's always great to see students, but it's also great to see students who it's a sibling or it's a cousin or even a best friend of a current Overbound student. Mm-hmm. because um, they're the ones that can really give a genuine, authentic, you know, summary of, of what the program is like. 
other mm. than hearing it from us in the form of a presentation. Absolutely. Um, I think it's important that you're you're making these general uh, generational outreaches, which is uh, fantastic and amazing. Hey there. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. Are you seeking guidance to enhance your TRIO project's effectiveness and success? Look no further. Nosotros Education Center, NEC, is here to empower your TRIO project with expert consulting services. NEC's mission is to promote the effectiveness and impact of TRIO programs. Since 2003, NEC has specialized in providing professional development and in-service staff trainings, allowable cost services, for TRIO projects across the country. The team at NEC, with over 60 years of combined TRIO experience, offers customized workshops and seminars for project staff, compliance assessments, external evaluations, working on and submitting APRs, database customization and training, developments of policies and procedures manuals, and project implementation or reorganization services. Additionally, NEC has secured over $774 million in federal funding with a 92% success rate through their live and on-demand proposal workshops, assistance with data collection and review, detailed technical reviews, and comprehensive proposal development services. Join the hundreds of colleges, agencies, and TRIO projects across the country who benefited from NEC's expertise. Nosotros Education Center, your partner in TRIO's project success. Visit their website at nosotrosedu.org. Again, that's nosotrosedu.org. And now, back to the podcast. Um, for you, uh, kind of reflecting a little bit on high school, as Upward Bound was... Uh, giving you these resources and, and providing kind of a new way to think about were other colleges in your mind? Like, were you thinking about at that point was college entering the realm of discussion or were you able to talk about family about college? Mm, I, so I think the, the secretiveness in me or not opening up as much was, was still in me at a young age because mm -hmm. I don't think I was initiating the discussions about college, but, um, you know, my parents knew I was in this program and they knew where Oxford College was. And, you know, they would come to the Upper Bound events like um, the first Sunday in Upper Bound. Traditionally, we had an Upper Bound picnic. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was this really cool thing in the quad where um, the families got invited Um there was games for the kids and um, there was little activities and it was like a good old family picnic with like um, food from campus. And so they were very familiar with, you know, certain parts of campus where the dorm was that you could drop off things and things like that. Um, but um, they... I don't think I was always bringing the issue up. Like I was more focused on school. I think when mm -hmm. it was time to apply for college, I would probably come home with like a booklet or like, I still remember to this day, Juan, I, I had an application for the university of Oregon because I remember the, I don't know. I probably got it from the college office at, in my school, but it was, um, 
and it was all green of course because that's the like organs colors and things like that but I think it just ended up staying somewhere in my room or I eventually throw it away because either I didn't have a fee waiver or I couldn't mm. use a fee waiver for it mm. and I wasn't gonna ask my parents for like $75 or whatever it costs to fill out a fee waiver I think that's where um I think for me, I started to hit a juncture where, you know, I didn't want to ask my parents for the um, the money for these college applications. And so mm-hmm. even being in Upward Bound and getting all this and being around such amazing staff and having these cool experiences, I think that for some Upward Bound students, um, and, and it's usually for the students who have both parents working because they make enough money but they still qualify for service and admit because they're first gen. Um, it becomes, um, you hit a juncture. Either you're going to get, ask your money, you're either going to ask your parents for the money for these college applications, or you're not going to apply to these colleges. Mm-hmm. Or there's an uncomfortable discussion coming because the parents want to know, well, what if you apply and you don't get accepted? What's going to happen to the money? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. For, for some of our parents, like, currently, I think a CSU application for Cal State University is um, $60, $65 an application. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in the day, the fee waiver was on paper. So you didn't exactly know whether they were going to waive the college application fee. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's a lot different. They'll, the, the Cal State application will tell you whether your fee waiver gets approved. Um, because there's a question in the application and so you either have to pay with a fee waiver or you pay up front mm-hmm. but um, back in the day you're you're able to pay later I also remember that but I never wanted to ask and so long story short like I didn't apply to any Cal States because I wasn't about to ask like hey can I have money for before applications is almost like 200 and 250 dollars yeah, that's, that's a lot of money and it's like and I just have really big issues with that, like even now. Um, but, you know, I took my college board fee waiver and I applied to four colleges, Oxy, UC Riverside, UC Santa Barbara, and UC San Diego. And I got into all of those schools except for UC San Diego. Mm. Um, and um, I mean, thankfully for me, I would say very fortunate for me, Oxy worked out because if it wasn't for Upward Bound, like, I don't know where I would have ended up. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for Upward Bound, like, I, you know, would I have been, I, you can never predict the outcomes unless you kind of like, you know, actually go through it. But right. I chose Oxy. You know, who knows where I would have been if I went to UC Riverside or UC Santa Barbara. Um, and so, or I could have gone to community college, but I chose, um, Oxy and, um, even that brought on, um, I wouldn't say an uncomfortable conversation, but in, in our household, they brought up a conversation of, well, well, how much is this actually going to be? And where is the money going to come from? Mm -hmm. Because, it's one thing to get a college acceptance and a financial aid package, but for first generation families, um, it's well, okay, there's this and there's this, but how much are we actually gonna pay? What is the bill gonna look like? And campuses are not 
I would say back then, you know, you don't get a bill until summer. Right. And what if it doesn't work out? Like mm-hmm. you're either stuck or you're going to un- unenroll and change your plans like last minute. And, you know, I think even, in, I think I would, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but I think those are, these things are still happening. You know, I think, are the colleges getting better in giving you your financial aid package with your admissions? Yes. But I think for some families, they still need the extra like, okay, well, now I want to know what my bill is going to be. And can I find out now? Because that's going to help make our families make those decisions. Some of our mm-hmm. families can't wait until fall semester or the, for the fall quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, I think for me, it was, the conversation was more about how was this actually going to get done? Um, because as long as they're, men, as long as they're, my family, my parents have always told me, as long as they're money, um, it can, it can get done. But once mm-hmm. the money runs out, like the money runs out. And when you hear that, you're like, oh shit, you know, I hope that financial aid comes through for the next four years. Mm-hmm. because for my final year of college like it didn't and mm-hmm. we had to take out a parent plus loan for seven thousand dollars to cover the gap that i had in financial aid or to cover to take out an extra loan so i can finish the school year final school year and still keep the monthly bill like at a reasonable amount mm-hmm. yeah wow. wow um in in reflection of that uh Horacio, can you talk to us about your experience with Oxy when you entered college? Oof. Um, I, again, I think even with Oxy, I've been really lucky. Um, when uh, the week after I graduated from Wilson High School, um, they have a program called Multicultural Summer Institute. Mm-hmm. And it's like a summer bridge program, kind of like EOP uh, here in California at the Cal States. Um, and it's like an extension of Upper Bound. Um, one thing I've heard of at Oxy is like Multicultural Summer Institute is modeled actually after Upper Bound on campus because Upper, um, they call it MSI for short. So MSI, um, you take classes during the day, mm-hmm. um, you go to all your meals and stuff like that. You stay in a dorm on campus and you have evening activities and you go to tutoring at night. And sometimes you don't have tutoring. You go to a workshop or you meet with your instructors and just like in Upper Bound, you have homework at night and you have to finish your homework. Um, and I wanted to be in the writing program, but I guess everybody else wanted to be in the writing program. And so they're like, are you willing to be in the math science class? And I was like, no, like I really didn't want to, to be honest, because um, I wasn't a math and science person. I wanted to focus on my writing because I knew that that's what I felt like I wanted to work on so I could do good in school. Um, but I was like, I want to be in the program regardless. So if I have to do math and science, I'm going to do math and science. And so um, um, that was a really great Oxy experience for me because um, you're making friends, you're going through the similar experience. Like my math and science class, it was like maybe barely a dozen of us. And mm-hmm. so we we all had the same homework. We all had the same um, assignments. Um, we all met with the same professors. 
and um we were really like tight knit like um i still connect with some of my msi cohort um even though we've gone off in different fields and things like that um some of us still stay connected um we crack jokes about the summer program in msi um and so for me the benefit was that upon starting fall semester oxy my freshman year um, I knew all of these people who were in my, in my MSI cohort. So I automatically knew about 40 to 45 other people that we were in this experience together. And, you know, it was a smooth transition um, to start college, you know, in this new place that was like, okay, like this is a real thing. Like mm -hmm. I'm not just sitting in an upper bound class anymore. This is a real college class and registering and things like that and meeting with a professor for the first time. Um, I, um, I was in economics for business and management major. And so that, that didn't go well. My second semester, I kind of like crashed and burned in that, um, major. And, um, you know, I ended up in academic probation after my fall semester of college. Mm. And so on a college camp at Oxy, um, they give you a year to raise up your GPA before they ask you to leave. Mm -hmm. to take some academic coursework and do better um and i was like damn and so um after my freshman year i changed majors to diplomacy world affairs mm -hmm. and um you know i had to get some guidance from the upper bound office on campus because um again it was those other things where like i didn't call home for advice my source of advice was the upper bound office on campus and so um, I let the director know, I let the office know, like, hey, this is what's happening. Um, I remember the director of Upper Bound, Susan, um, we went out to lunch. We went off campus to lunch. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember talking to her about, like, you know, this isn't working out. This college major is not working out. And she was like, what was, it? What was your other option? Like, what else were you thinking about? And I was like, well, I was thinking about diplomacy world affairs because at Oxy, you can study abroad at the United Nations. And mm. I was like, that sounds really cool to me. Like I could eventually go study abroad in the UN. And um, and it's kind of like politics, but it's, you know, it's the, the curriculum is a little bit more specific around international relations and, and those kinds of things. And I was like, cool. Mm -hmm. So I changed my major. Um, I had a different advisor. Um, and just naturally, Juan, I could see that I was getting more, more C pluses and some B minuses as opposed to just like C minuses and Cs. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. My writing was horrible. Um, and, you know, those of you who like, when you go to liberal arts college, of course you're writing a lot. And at Oxy, um, your first year seminar classes, you take one in the fall, one in the spring. Mm -hmm. The one in the fall was not good. Um, my papers would come back with like, it was like, it was like I typed up my papers like on red paper versus white paper. Um, and the professor was giving me like the suggestions and she was like, eventually she was like, something is up and not in a bad way. She was, it was more of a concern. And she was like, you know what? Like talk to your advisor um make sure you go to the writing center and take these steps and i'll never forget her her name is gabrielle foreman 
and um, she was authentically concerned. And mm-hmm. so I think that's one of the things where I really benefited from going to Oxy is that I would run into professors who were authentically concerned because I think they just wanted me to succeed or they're like, oh, like I got to help this dude out. Mm-hmm. And so um, my writing got better because of Professor Foreman's suggestion. I ended up taking an independent study with a writing professor and mm. all my independent study was about was every time I had a paper due, I would set up an appointment and he would hash out my papers with me. Okay. He wasn't giving me the answers, but he was helping me get started. He was helping me revise. Um, and it was a natural push to connect me to researchers on campus. Um, I would say the beginning was rough, but, um, and then the the rest of it was kind of like an up and down roller coaster. Like I was still progressing, but it was just up and down a little bit. Mm, <laughs> um, I see. But, you know, I really vibed with my new advisor um, from Diplomacy World Affairs. Um, she was really cool. Like um, she was, um, uh, she had um, like black Middle Eastern roots for lack of a better, like better identifi- identifier. But um, she authentically cared. Um, you know, I had her for multiple classes. And so she was my advisor throughout. Um, and I really vibed her. She kept it real with her students about, um, you know, things like Christopher Columbus and, and colonialism, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really expressed her thoughts. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed her classes. Um, and um, I think naturally I... I still tried to do my own thing, but I was comfortable going to office hours, you know, after my first year because I wasn't really fully taking advantage of office hours. Um, like sometimes your average trio student will go off to college. Like we we struggle with that part because we don't want to call ourselves out in class. We don't want to, you know, embarrass ourselves in front of a professor, sure. but um, I knew I had to get over it and, you know, Either either I had to do what I had to do in terms of going to professor's office hours or eventually the professor was going to call you out because you go to a small college and you can't slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I had professors on campus who were like, um, I would come late to class um, with one of my professors and eventually she pulled me aside after class and she was like, don't come to my class late anymore. And mm-hmm. from there on, I got the hint. Like, and granted, I was being a hard head, probably like I probably was staying out too late the night before and was like, oh, I'll just show up 15 minutes late and I'll get to class when I get to class. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think genuinely it was a really great experience because instead of gearing toward like doing the student's help or, you know, reaching out to faculty on a regular basis, um, I really enjoyed the residential community on campus. I lived in a multicultural hall every single year, and it was the same dorm every single year. And so I naturally vibed with everybody in the dorm. Um, I was a kind of a, you know, get along kind of person where, like, you know, I'm here and, like, let's just be chill and let's just be friends and, you know, go through this experience, like, together. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's the residential community that got me through. I think Upper Bound in um, being on campus was definitely uh, a super great resource because it was my job. 
like the things that I researched in my capstone project about sense of belonging and community, like I had that before I was able to put words to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of connection to upper bound, the the student community, the being involved on campus, the politics in me came out also because I was on student government um, oh, when nice. I was an Oxy student. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're on student government, you have, you can say like how much money clubs and organizations get, the newspaper, the yearbook. And so I definitely found like my place at Oxy as I went along through my years. I still struggled. I was like, oh, I could take this class. Like I got this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are some 300 level classes in undergrad where you should not take unless you feel super <laughs> comfortable. Right. But I wanted to take them because it was the professor. And so um, did I continue to struggle? Yes. Was I smarter about taking which classes I was taking? Uh, It got better. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually, like, um, yeah, like I made it through. I made it through in four years um, because of, um, I think, students like me, we need that liberal arts, private school kind of education. Absolutely. Where if we were to go to a Cal State or a UC, we would have fallen through the cracks and just been like, oh, well, nobody cares. So why should I care or why should I continue on? Yeah. You know. So talk to us about that moment you graduated from college. Were you thinking about your career? Were you thinking about what were you going to do next? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Mm. I was one of those people that was I was not going to the career center. And so um, I think I started to look at the job market in fall semester of 2022. So I graduated Oxy in 2003. So um, I started to look into jobs and things like that in two, and barely in fall semester of 2002. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course, when you're in your senior year, you're thinking about like your capstone project because I ask sure. you have to do a capstone project. Yeah, And in Diplomacy World Affairs, your capstone project needed to be at least 50 pages. And I'm like, how the heck am I going to write 50 pages? Because my right. most... That's a lot. <laughs> I My longest paper was like maybe 15, and that was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have to write 50 pages with doing the research, like I was a mess in... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a mess in senior year, but um, I think I was like, damn, what do I want to do? I was like, do I want to go to the foreign service? Because I would see flyers on campus about, hey, like, get a career in the foreign service. And I even signed up for the foreign service exam. Mm-hmm. It was going to take place at the LA Convention Center. But I, I didn't go. Like, something either... It was one of the situations where either I was up late at night and I wasn't feeling it the next day and I would rather find a job after college or something Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Um, I never studied abroad at Oxy. And so um, because of my grades, I was like, they're not going to accept or give somebody a study abroad experience who doesn't have the GPA or... You know, just to put it out there, like, my GP was barely, like, 2.5. Um, and I was like, they're not going to accept me, so why even apply? Mm. Um, but, you know, I started naturally doing job research all on my own. And um, I found this organization through AmeriCorps 
Um, there were several organizations through the AmeriCorps database that you could like naturally apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some in Washington State, like not in Seattle though. It was like the suburbs, like the suburbs, suburbs of Seattle, mm-hmm. like in um, Yakima or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, well, this is the pay. And we're sending you the information for um, like Medi-Cal and food stamps because we know this isn't enough. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm. And um, thankfully, I found an AmeriCorps program in the Bay Area called Partners in School Innovation. And it was in education. So I was like, yes, it sounds really great. Um, I made it through a couple of interviews and they offered me a position um, and our, all, all of our positions were, were called partners. And so our role in the elementary schools was to help with their English language arts and math scores. Mm-hmm. And so we would um, provide support through for the school. Um, we would kind of like build and moderate like um, a lab classroom. And in the lab classroom, um, there was one teacher who was going to model a lesson. And we would help take notes to see how the students were reacting. Um, well, like were the students having positive reactions or negative reactions to the lesson? And sometimes the teachers from the same grade level will also see the, the lesson demonstration. Mm-hmm. And so everything was done to be like to be part of the community, to assist in any way with um, English and math scores. Um, and my location was in San Jose, although the headquarters was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, my um, my school was in downtown San Jose. Um, I lived in downtown San Jose by San Jose State University. So there was always something happening in the neighborhood um, because, um, you know, in San Jose State, if the students are living in the dorms, they live in the neighborhood and like blocks away from the neighborhood. So you know who the college students are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a good experience because it was like, it was education. It was helping working in public schools. Um, we would get professional development on a Friday. And so either it was in San Francisco um, regularly or eventually they would have them in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And so once in a while, I would get to take the Caltrain up to San Jose, from San Jose to San Francisco. And the Caltrain is like the Amtrak, but it's the Bay Area's version of commuter rail. Mm. And so the Caltrain would take like an hour for you to get there. Um, but it was sometimes better than carpooling with your coworkers because there was always traffic heading up to San Francisco and back. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was good. Um, you know, once I started with San Jose or with this, this America program, I was like, "There's something good here." Um, I'm also going to get um, an education award for my service in AmeriCorps. And so when you work for AmeriCorps full time and you meet a number of min- when you meet the minimum number of hours, you get an education award. It's worth around forty five hundred dollars a year. Oh, and wow. you can then you get two years. And if you for every year that you do, you can only get up to two education awards at the time. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, I'm going to get paid. I'm going to get some experience and I'm going to get this education award. And so um you know, I finished my time with AmeriCorps and um, I got my education award and I used that to pay off my loans. Um, wow. And um, I was like, damn, I need to get a job now now that AmeriCorps is ending. And so I um, ended up moving up to San Francisco, kind of San Francisco adjacent up to Davie City. And um, I started working up in the Bay Area in, in San Francisco after mm-hmm. AmeriCorps. 
Wow. How long? So how long were you there for in America and with the working with AmeriCorps? Um, I worked in AmeriCorps from 2003 to 2005. So it was like strictly a two year term. Um, everybody knew it was that. So you knew what you knew what you were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and after America was over in 2005, um, I started job hunting again. I was like, what am I going to do? Um, am I going to move back to LA? Am I going to stay up here? Um, I ended up getting, um, I ended up getting a job at Goodwill, like as a store manager. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if people are familiar with San Francisco, um, back then, um, there was a Goodwill, um, off of Market Street and Van Ness. Um, by one of the muni stations and so it was uh it was the biggest goodwill in all of in the city of san francisco so you would have people from the neighborhood come by um you would have people like looking for fines and checking the vintage section because we had a vintage section that was fairly large Mm -hmm. and so that was the more expensive stuff um and it was kind of a model goodwill store so they eventually started to sell like electronics there and things like that Mm-hmm. And there was this, there was its problems, like you know, people would try to steal stuff or cause issues and things like that. Um, but that was part of, you know, that was just part of the job and things like that. Um, and then um, Goodwill was kind of like okay, and then um, I ended up leaving Goodwill, and um, I stayed still up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, um, and I started working at the Macy's in Union Square. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you've been to San Francisco, Union Square, the Macy's, there was the main building and across the street, there was a men's store of just men's clothing. But I worked in the women, I worked in the main building and I worked third floor, Jones, New York, um, selling women's clothing. And mm-hmm. at first it was like, okay, it's a job. And they give me a clothing allowance. But since I'm a male, of course, they're not going to give me the clothes um they give me a clothing they would give, they would give me 150 dollars a month so the money was intended to you know dress professionally like dress mm-hmm. shoes mm-hmm. kind of like model what the what the clothing style is of the brand but as a guy so i would always go to work in like slacks and a button-down shirt mm-hmm. and i thought cool i'm getting paid by macy's and i'm getting this clothing allowance check from jones new york and the check would literally come from like the corporate company of like the brand. And and I liked it because like we had our own little section and they wouldn't take you away from the section because your job was to sell Joe's New York. And I was I was good at it. Like, mm-hmm. did I want to ask people to open a Macy's card? Uh, it was part of the job, but sometimes <laughs> I would totally gloss over that. And you know, I'm trying to sell the clothes and the brand and right, right. And when you want to hook up your customers and they're willing to get hooked up, then we're like, let me let me roll out the red carpet for you and things like that. But it was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't see myself selling like convincing ladies to go for the long skirt versus the shorter skirts or the tater jackets versus the, you know, the other style of stuff that we sold. But, um, you know, it was a fun experience. There was also always something going on because the Macy's in San Francisco is technically around 11 floors, mm. but as a regular customer, you only see like seven. Mm. And then at the very mm. top, there's a cheesecake factory that oversees Union Square. Wow. But in between, there's other floors. You just don't see those as customers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So you, you worked then for, for your few years then, it sounds like, 
you work working um, one part private sector and and uh, doing that work. You were really good at it. How did you learn about the assistant director position for Trio Upward Bound at your college? Ooh, um, so if y'all remember, in about two thousand and eight, um, it was the banking crisis. I do remember and that. So yeah. people were. Um, People were like, I don't know what's going on. People were being sold these homes they really couldn't afford. Or that's what the message was on the news. You know, um, you know, either people were being promised these mortgage rates or whatever, whatever that was happening. And the government ended up bailing out these major banks. Mm-hmm. And so um, the job market was crappy. Um, for me personally, um, I started to see, I was like, I'm almost 27 now. Um, I don't have money in my savings account. It's expensive to live in San Francisco because I always um, only rented a room. Um, I never had my own apartment because I wasn't making enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had to pay for um, like the BART or the rapid transit because I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco for just a room. Mm-hmm. So I would have to live in Daly City. So if you're familiar with um, San Francisco, Daly City is adjacent to San Francisco. It's close to San Francisco State, but it's technically Daly City. And so I would have to walk to the BART sometimes. I would have to walk to the train station to get to the BART. And then from there, it was a straight shot into downtown San Francisco. And you would have mm-hmm. to do that twice a day. or Because um, taking the bus was just too, too long. Um, and I was like, shit, like, you know what? I I have to move back to LA. I have to quit my job here at Macy's, and it sucked leaving Macy's because I think I was really enjoying it. Like mm-hmm. I would have, I would have wanted to be a, a manager there, like being in charge of an entire floor, like helping people, like employees, and helping them out, stuff like that. But uh, it just didn't work out. So in two thousand and eight, I moved back to LA. I applied for unemployment, and I was on unemployment. And because the banking crisis was, because a lot of people were going through it um, during that time, I don't know if you remember, they kept passing legislation to extend unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was in unemployment for a good year. And in 2009, um, the Upper Bound Office, um, Gilbert and Jesse at the time, they were on their lunch break and I was probably, I was going to go run an errand. Like either I was going to go to the bank to cash my unemployment check or put it away and go to go run some errands. And they're like, Hey, we think our administrative assistant is going to leave jobs and get another job somewhere. So we're giving you a heads up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what's happening? And I was like, just, um, We'll let you know exactly if she's leaving, and then we'll let you know when the job posting is going to get sent out. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I really appreciate it. Thank you for letting me know. Um, And so in 2009, they were like, um, about a few weeks later, it was around 2000, March 2009, um, they're like, hey, our admin is leaving. So, um, you know, get your resume together. And when you see the job posting come out, or send it to Susan, who was still the director at the time, and um, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I got my resume together, and the administrative assistant job at the time at Upper Bound was uh, was twenty five hours a week, 
So it was right under the full-time threshold, mm -hmm. but you know, that's how the position was structured. And so um, I was like, cool, I'm gonna apply for this job. It's a familiar place, uh, familiar people, and um, I won't have to be on unemployment. Um, and um, you know, long story short, I submitted my resume. I interviewed with the director Susan, um, who knew me since I was a student. Mm -hmm. And even before I got home or later that day after the interview, she was like, oh, I didn't think you were going to get like leave right away. I would have told you already that I was going to hire you. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I get yeah. the email like before five o'clock, before the end of the day saying, oh, you know, congratulations. This is what your hourly rate is going to be. And, you know, it's signed by Susan, the director. Mm -hmm. And um, I started off working in Trio as a 25-hour a week uh, part-time admin. I would mm -hmm. start at 8, 8 a.m. and I would go home at 1 p.m. every day. Um, and, you know, I didn't have to go to Saturday sessions or I didn't have to be part of the summer program as much. Mm -hmm. I was just doing the office work. But mm -hmm. eventually, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to come hang out in the summer or, you know, help out whenever I can. Um, and... Um, it wasn't for extra pay. I was just coming to hang out. But if something was happening, obviously I couldn't turn away. Mm. Like I would have to step in or, you know, and along the way I would get to go to the Dodger game or have lunch on campus and things like that with the students. And I would see what was going on and what it was like for them to live in the dorm professionally and stay overnight and things like that. Um, and you know, as things sometimes go to education, people leave and people come and go. Sure. And I slowly moved up the ladder. Um, uh, after being an admin, administrative assistant, I became um, the academic coordinator, um, you know, for a few years. Um, mm -hmm. That was my first full-time position in TRIO. Um, helping the students with, like, their education plans and uh, making sure their transcripts are solid um, and just providing them general advisement. Um, mm -hmm. And then I moved up to the assistant director. And now after I got my master's degree, I'm now wow. the associate director. So, uh, so associate director. Yes. So that, again, full circle moment for you. How are you feeling with that? Like this, the very program that served you as a student and now you're serving it as its associate director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's crazy, um, mm -hmm. you know, um I mean, it's crazy and it's fun. Um, you know, when my director Oswaldo is out and there's things going on on campus, like I'll fill in for him. Like if it's a lunch meeting that we need to be involved in mm -hmm. and he can't make it, then, you know, I help fill in. Mm -hmm. And I and I definitely don't mind that because it's like there are these meetings with like professors and other people who are engaging with the LA community. And some of these people happen to be professors that I used to have a class with them. And so sometimes those spaces are intimidating, but not anymore. Um, but they used to be because, like, I would see one of my politics professors that I had for cl two classes. And when I first started interacting with her, I would be like, you know, Professor Freer, I would always be like, Professor so-and-so, Professor this, Professor the that. the formal titles, yeah, yeah. Yeah, until they tell me, like, until one time Professor Freer was like, don't call me, like, Professor Freer, call me Regina. And every time I see her on campus or we are at the, we're at the uh, same um, meeting or whatever it is, I'm like, hey, Regina, how's it going? And, you know, in my mind, like, I'm just like, don't say anything embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, people like Regina and other professors on campus, like, they keep it real. 
mm-hmm. you know they're gonna they're doing amazing work just like we're doing amazing work um and it's um you know it's crazy like i don't um again i don't like to try to sugarcoat my experiences because that has always been perfect no you know, mm-hmm. working in trio, there's always going to be threats from the inside and the outside. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, back in, um, I remember going to my first policy seminar with COE in 2011. Mm-hmm. And it was the time around um, the government shutdowns were happening more frequent. Oh, yeah. The Tea right, Party yeah. was like, you know, throwing shade to Obama every chance they got. Um, and they were threatening to shut down the government. And that, I don't know, that got me, like, really, um, it just got me, like, really upset and really miffed because, you know, with COE for the first time, at least for me, I learned that there's Republicans who are big allies of TRIO. And yeah. it doesn't connect with you until you actually see and hear for yourself. Right. And so it really bothered me when, like, why don't these people believe in TRIO? Why would these people want to take money away from TRIO? You know, my colleagues would tell me back in 2000 and early 2000s when President Bush um, zero line trio one year and people went ballistic on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's power behind this advocacy that we all have working in a place like trio. And so um, it's um, it's I think there's so many more positives than negatives working in trio. Like, I always mm-hmm. like to see the glass half full because, you know what, if there's something that we can get because our funds are, you know, our funds are what our funds are, but you have colleagues on campus who are willing to help you out. They're willing to do a workshop for you. They're willing to go the mile for you because they've been on campus for so long and they know Upper Bound. Absolutely. They're not, they may not be involved in Upper Bound every semester or every single year, but they care and they want to see us succeed. Just like, you know, if my colleagues have an initiative on campus or if it's something around first-gen Latinos or first-gen students of color, like I'm going to try to support that because that is the same population that TRIO is serving. And sometimes we can, they can help us be successful, mm-hmm. but as much as our college can help TRIO programs be successful, TRIO can make our colleges and universities look amazing and be successful because at up oxy upper bound like we're known for the people that we have the connection to government Mm -hmm. and there's only certain places on campus that can say that and we're one of them so as the associate director like i feel very proud of like the work we've done because when our congressman sees an email or when we make a phone call to our congressman, like they're paying attention to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of places at Oxy that could say that. Absolutely. Can you talk to us about your mentors throughout college and your current career? Who are those people that helped uh, with Ooh, your professional yeah. growth? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say other than other than Susan Gilbert, or also one of my best friends, Jesse, who they all, who they told me about the upper bound job, um, I would say it's, I would say one won't have to be Hector Perez. Um, Hector is um, also an upper bound alumni from Oxy. Um, he went to Oxy as well, and so when we when I when it was my first year at Oxy, 
he was a senior at Oxy. And so we did we never had classes together, but we would cross paths. He would invite me to his off-campus parties once in a while. Um, because <laughs> he lived off campus right down the street from Oxy. And so super familiar face because he was a staff member. Around the time that Ms. Medina was a staff member too at Oxy as an RE. Um, mm-hmm. he was an RE too. Wow. And so um you know, when I worked for the Upper Bound program on summer residential staff, um, he was the head RA. So he was in charge of all of the RAs and, and the tutors. Um, and, you know, he was um, between Susan and Gilbert, I would say because we were both Oxy students for a year um, together, um, he was the one that was more comfortable with because, you know, he was doing his own thing too uh, during his final year of college. But I was trying to get my feet wet and grounded too. So um, it was like, again, that natural resource where I could step into the upper bound office and then Susan, Susan or Gilbert went around. Then we could just straight talk about how school going. And I could share a certain experience with him that I would feel uncomfortable t- talking to Susan and Gilbert about. Mm. Um, I want to say he probably knew that I was on academic probation because I told him or I just shared with the office. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, I really appreciate Hector because, like, you know, I see what he's doing in the community. I, you know, when he was a Nazi student, and I see what he's doing now as a teacher, um, at our leader high school and making an impact on his students. And so, I definitely see him like as a mentor. Um, when I had to move to the Bay Area to San Jose for my AmeriCorps job, he actually drove me up there to San oh, Jose. Wow. Yeah. He, um, uh, I packed up my stuff in his car. Um, he had family living in San Jose. So for him, it was like, well, I'm going to help out Horacio move up and um, take him to his new place that he's going to be staying at. But I'm also going to visit with my family and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, before he left, um, him and his family ended up having like a barbecue at a park nearby. So like I get, I... I don't know. I I remember going to his family's house in the south south side of San Jose. Um, I remember hanging out with them and things like that. So, um, and um, and Mr. Perez worked in trio as a professional, um, and so he he also had it at his campus job, but he was also you know I'm pretty sure he was able to go to Westop conferences and be part of COE and things like that. Like I remember him like he would fax letters to the congressional offices to make appointments or fill out forms and things like that. And um, I got to go to COE when I was an Oxy student. And so it was part of our, we took a few upper bound students with us and we got to check out different colleges, universities while um, the uh, the assistant director at the time was going to the COE conference. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Perez or Hector, and me and the upper bound students, we were all going, you know, walking around DC. We we're checking out the museums, checking out the campuses. And then of course there was the walking the hill day. And to me, I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Um, because like it never clicked in my mind that I was gonna be walking the halls of Congress and um meeting with um I still remember sitting in the office where it was us, Oxy Upper Bound, and it was another trio group there. And we all had a meeting with um, Congresswoman Hilda Solis, who used to be President Obama's Secretary of Labor when he was the president. 
Mm-hmm. And now Hilda Solis is the county supervisor for the first trip to Los Angeles currently. And so um, it's a trip to me to, you know, have that experience with Mr. Perez as my mentor um, and him having a connection with the schools and just, I think naturally just, there's a genuine deep connection there, like um, with some of my friends from even Upper Bound too, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we still keep in touch with staff. We see each other on a regular basis when we were both RAs. And so um, I would say for sure, um, you know, um, Mr. Perez, who used to be, again, a former participant himself. He was an Oxy alumni. Um, we see each other sometimes at the reunion events or we stay in contact still. Um, but yeah, if I had to, I would say definitely um, Hector Perez. Wonderful. What advice do you have for TRIO participants at all levels, whether they're educational opportunity centers, Upward Bound, Student Support Services, McNair, any one of those? Ooh. Um, I mean, the easy thing would be don't do what I did in college. But, <laughs> um, but um, I would say from from my perspective, this, you know, because we don't work at a small campus, um, I would say dip into everything that you can. Like, you don't have to do everything, but um, do the things that actually gravitate towards you. Like, if it's going to a club meeting regarding your ethnicity or your race or your sexuality or your religion, like, do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, be part of clubs that um, are relate to your beliefs and your values. Um, like I tell the upper belt students, um, you know, if there's something on your campus or in your college or whatever it is that doesn't exist and you feel that it should, then start it. Mm, um, that's especially, absolutely true. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a pre-college um, trio participant or a college student. Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel that there should be a food pantry, for example, at your high school, then start one. Like, you know, ask your trio advisors for some advice because... They probably know somebody at the high school who could start help you out and get that started as as opposed to struggling. And usually students these days are like, well, if it's too hard, then I'm over it. Right. But, <laughs> you know, I think your trio counselor can be the perfect person to reach out to, to be like the facilitator of something. Mm-hmm. And then I think especially if you're a trio college student, you should definitely be empowered to go to your student life office and say, hey, um, I'm a first generation student, but where is the first generation program on campus? You know, where is the first generation club here on campus? Especially if you have a strong population of X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. there, there should be there should never be an excuse from your campus about something not existing for students. Mm-hmm. So whether you know if it's a if it's a black alumni, if it's a a black program or a Latino program, an Asian program or first gen or low income stuff. Like if that's what you identify, then make way for those programs. And not unfortunately, but unfortunately, sometimes it has to fall on trio students or on college students or on high school students, or you have to be the first person to speak up. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part for our students. It's like, um, it's like this book that I'm reading right now, um, part of COE's book club, um, the first gen memoir by Alejandra Campoverdi. Um, in her book, she talked about being the first and only. And I think as first generation students in trio, the first and only thing is never going to go away. 
Like, I'm starting to realize that from mm-hmm. her book. And so as a high school student, or if you're a college student, or in an EOC program, or wherever you're at in TRIO, sometimes you have to be the first and only person to speak up in a room, or meet with the dean of students office, or like ruffle some feathers on campus to get something done. Because if you're not being, sometimes if you're not being loud enough, people are not going to hear you on campus. And you don't have to be super loud if you're not that kind of person, but there's other ways to get something started. Like, I'm really happy to hear that at Oxy, there's two students who started a first-generation low-income club. And I think that's great because, you know, we pay attention to first-gen sometimes or not, um, but we also don't pay attention to students who um, qualify for federal Pell Grants mm-hmm. because those are truly the low-income students because if you qualify for Pell, then you're meeting, you're at a certain threshold that is no way equal to some of your more affluent students on campus. So I always encourage TRIO students, like, yo, give it a shot. If you get stuck, go to your trio counselor and ask them for advice. Like, don't don't be afraid to say, like, how do I do this or how can I start this? Right. On. That's a very good piece of advice. Do you want to take a moment right now in the podcast to acknowledge or do shout outs to folks that have really helped you <laughs> along the way? Um, I mean, shout out to the Oxy Upperbound office as usual. Um, Susie Gilbert, Jesse. Um, Mr. Perez, um, just everybody. Um, Jesus, um, even though he recently left us as director, he's working up at Sonoma. Like all of these folks have allowed the program to transcend. Um, I think I get emotional about it because, like, if it weren't for these folks who are the director or like the light staff, um, you know, um advocating for campus resources, um, advocating for the federal government, like, it just doesn't magically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I enjoy being on the on the office end of it. Um, but, um, you know, I just want to shout out everybody who has come through the Oxy Overbound office since the beginning of 1965. Um, we have um, people at Oxy who they were Oxy students in the 1960s, and they were part of the counseling team when Oxy Upper Bound first started on campus. And they still come back to Upper Bound or Oxy and say, hey, how is the program doing? Or what are y'all up to these days and things like that? And it's so cool to hear that because these people who were Oxy alumni in the 1960s, some of them are board of trustee members. Some of them um, have the ear of the president or a very influential people on campus. And it's so cool to have that um, as an upper bound program. And it's helpful Absolutely. because that way, as current staff, um, you don't have to, uh, I guess we're very blessed because sometimes you don't have to try as hard. You know, sometimes you do, and that's okay because you learn from it. But um, I think we're so blessed and lucky at Oxy Upper Bound. And, and, and I'm so excited to, you know, whether I whether I continue on in these next few years or I find a director position out there, mm-hmm. like I'll always be from Oxy Upper Bound. Awesome. Yeah. And shout what? out to um shout out to Wally, Sochi, um, Brando, Angela, um, Michelle, 
Michelle recently joined us. She's from PTC Upper Bound, or I mean, I may have gotten that wrong. I think she's from Cal State LA Upper Bound, but she went to high school in um, Pasadena, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she's one of our true alumni working um in the office, and she's currently in grad school. And I have to shout out to her because that definitely resonates with me. Um, and also Alondra, one of our Oxy students working for us in the program as well right now. Wonderful. What advice would you give to new and current trio professionals? If you had the ear of every trio professional currently across the, across this country <laughs> and its territories, what would you say to them? Um, oh. Sorry to put you on the spot like that, Horacio. No, <laughs> I mean, I would say like, y'all, if you're new, if you're like, is this the right place for me? Mm. Um, or whatever questions you may be asking yourself, um, you know, not to be cheesy and corny, but I think sometimes in trio, like there's uh maybe there's a lay, I don't know how people are gonna think about this, but I think there's a layer of imposter syndrome within trio when you first start mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you're like, no matter what you where you were at before you started working in trio, if you're a, a current grad student or you just finished your your undergraduate program, or if you're dipping into trio for the first time, I think you have to give yourself some time and figure out your niche. Um, you have to figure out, okay, this is my role, this is my job, but how can I make it fun and exciting? Mm-hmm. Um, what are my own personal niches, or what am I passionate about? And how can that? How can you intertwine that into your own trio program? And so, okay. um, I'm, you know. My some of my upgrading is politics. I like to stay in tune with politics. Um, I like to encourage my students to advocate. So sometimes those are the workshops that I like to present to the students. Um, that's the spin that I like to have in the conversations when I have something to say to to our trio participants. So um, bring your own personal story, um, but do it in your own way. Like you don't have to tell the students all of your business mm-hmm. or all of your, you know, your secondary dimensions of identities and things like that. Like do it on your own time and do it when it's relevant to the situation. Certainly. Um, and and that way the students know that, you know, you're just like them. You know, you're not the, when it's coming to having, when it comes down to having a real talk moment with your students, you know, when you have the genuine connection, they're not going to see you as the associate director or they're not going to see you as the director. They're going to see you as Horacio. And they're going to know that uh, he's letting me know like the truth as yeah. opposed to this constructed, fabricated, kind of like sugar-coated version of a particular story, you know? And and be honest and comfortable with, be honest with your students to your comfort level. Um and it's okay to randomly like Google us, you know, like I've never done this before, <laughs> but it's okay to Google trio colleagues across the country and reach out to them and say, Hey, like, um, I'm stuck on this or, you know, a lot of us put questions out to the trio listener, but I think that's the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had programs like, um, we've had some of our fellow colleagues from Hawaii tell us, um, hey, we're going to be in the LA area. Can you stop by the Upper Bound office at Oxy and come have a chat with y'all about your summer program and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, as a new trio professional, if, you know, um, yes, there's websites and places we can check out, but 
Um, I don't mind that people will email me or, you know, give us a call in the office and say, hey, like, could I have like half an hour of your time? And, you know, how do you set up your academic year? Or, you know, if you get stuck at your high schools or your partnerships with campus, like, how do you manage this? Because, um, yes, I like to keep certain things a secret or the way we do things um, ourselves, but um, I think it's important that we share and um, and maybe not let people come to the conclusion or regret being in Trio because I think Trio is such an amazing, cool thing. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But you make Trio what what you put into it. Um, personalize it. It doesn't have to be this super structured like permissible services and unpermissible services. Like I encourage people out there to be creative. And 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 we and see what other programs are doing. Absolutely. Do you think doctoral program is in your future? <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't gotten the grad school bill yet. Um, to be honest, <laughs> I okay. I fully funded my grad school experience through loans, and so wow. um, you know, and and I'm still wondering if my undergrad loans. I mean. I'm practically done paying my undergrad loans, but with all this loan forgiveness, um, I don't know. I'll be shocked if I actually get like money back or whatever is going to happen. But um, that's funny you asked that one because um, my capstone advisor, so at the University of Laverne, you leading up to graduation or the end of your program, you have to take organizational research one and then your senior seminar. Mm-hmm. So in organizational one, you're starting your first three pages, your first three chapters of your capstone project. And then in senior seminar, you finish or your graduate seminar, you complete chapters four and five. So it's like a continuous process. Right. And I remember like in in organizational research, um, I finished everything. All I had to do was um, make the final edits um, through the feedback of the professor and just mm-hmm. resubmit the same paper. Right. And yeah. it was for five points. It was like the same. It was like an assignment. But, you know, I was like, cool, I'll get it done later in the week. And earlier in the week on Mondays, every Monday, she would have open office hours via Zoom. And somebody went ahead of me with questions. And I was the only other person who was there for office hours. So... We literally had, I'm not lying, y'all, like, we talked for over an hour on Zoom. Oh. Um, it was vulnerable. I was crying. She was giving me feedback, like, the affirmations I didn't know I needed to hear. Um, because she was like, your capsule project is actually, sounds, is really amazing. Granted, it wasn't done, but she was feeling the topic. I think she was naturally feeling what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And she was gonna make sure that I would. She was gonna make sure that I would be accountable. Um, she didn't play. She didn't like play around. Play around. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was serious. Um, but I was feeling that, and so um, she was like, you know what? If you were to apply two jobs, um, in the D.C. area, because I was telling her naturally, you know, if I wasn't working in Trio. You know, my ideal job would be to advocate all day on Capitol Hill for COE mm-hmm. or being an advocate 
at a think tank in Washington, D.C. around Latinos and first-generation people. And since my capstone project was around first the Latinos in higher education, she was like, you know what? If you apply to jobs right now, or if you applied to a job and I was running a think tank, I would hire you. Because, you know, you're, you know, naturally I'm first generation, I'm, I'm Latino, and we need more people like you. And what she was getting at was University of Laverne, like some of our colleges in California, is a Hispanic-serving institution. Mm-hmm. But she was sharing to me that, you know, a lot of the faculty at Laverne are not Latino. And so um, she was like, you know, if you're not trying to go into, if you're not trying to be a professor, mm-hmm. then I would recommend to you that you go into an EDD program. You know, if you want to stay away from teaching or um, just being a professor. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, wow, like nobody's ever told me that. Um, I'm very thankful for you giving me the feedback. So if it's not a PhD program, I wouldn't maybe do an EDD program. Because I don't know if I want to teach, like, there's always that lingering question where I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of my classmates at Oxy, she's a professor on campus. And so if I did want to do a PhD program, I could rely on her and other faculty on campus to say, like, hey, what this look like? But I wouldn't mind looking into an EDD program because I feel like it would allow it would open up maybe the floodgates to opportunity, mm-hmm. but I still want to do stuff around higher education, college completion. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was part of the COE um, Leadership Institute at Yale in 2019, mm-hmm. there was this lady, um, I forget her name, but she's really petite. And um, I think she used, the story is she used to work um, in the Bill Clinton administration, but I forget like where. Mm-hmm. And in this um, presentation, we actually all got to see, like, what are the different college completion numbers look like across all of the United States? And the numbers aren't good in general. But when you start to break it down, especially for Latinos and African-Americans, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think something clicked in my mind about with that moment and doing my capstone project, I was like, this really needs to change because you know what? In Apparently in 2030, there's going to be a labor crisis that not everybody's talking about. And I learned mm-hmm. this through one of my management courses in my program. Um, there's a podcast of a mister that says that with AI coming around and the educational attainment in the United States and migration and, you know, having to get, people from certain countries outside of the United States to fill in technology jobs in other areas, that there's a labor crisis that's coming. And what better way to get ahead of this labor crisis if more people of color were educated in the United States? And I'm not just talking about four-year education. The numbers for, you know, graduate programs is very, like, low. Um, But... I think we need to start off with making sure that if it's not a if it's not a four year program, if it's not an undergraduate program, there's um, you know our community colleges are so um, um, not so spoken of, and so we need to pay attention to our community colleges are also playing a role in the education of our students 
and for a lot of our families. Mm-hmm. And so if I could help in that realm, I think eventually I would say more NEDD program because I want to be that voice who um, sometimes, frankly, it's not a person of color or it's not a first generation person who's at the main, main table who is making decisions and not taking into account trio folks or the population that we serve. Absolutely. What are some books, TV shows, either that you're streaming or binging or podcasts that you're (laughs) keeping up with? Well, first and foremost, I haven't listened to it yet, but the Let's Talk Trio podcast with Juan Rivas, I heard it's super lit. (laughs) Thank Um, you. (laughs) I I honestly, y'all, I'm going to be completely transparent. I don't have a podcast thing on my phone. I know on iPhones, it has like a podcast thing, Mm -hmm. but I honestly don't listen to podcasts. Um, But this is very fun and interactive. Like, I'm really vibing this. Um, Good, good, good. I normally don't read books. Oh. I was reading in grad school a lot, but um, I'm currently reading, um, going back to COE's book club that they're promoting currently right now. Um, I am reading First Gen, a memoir by Alejandra Campoverdi. Um, I've been to her in-person um, appearances here at the City Library here in LA. And it was such a moving experience to be in front of her and hearing her first generation story growing up in LA and going to USC and then to Harvard. Mm-hmm. And from Harvard, going to the White House and working for President Obama. Wow. And um, at the public thing, I ended up running into um, Mike Lopez. He's the trio director for Upper Bound at Los Angeles City College. So it was like, oh, cool. I'm glad that I came because, like, I know who you are. And, like, it was just we were in a room with other first-generation people, like, scared, vulnerable, like, sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm reading her book currently right now. Otherwise, y'all, I don't read books. Um, I like to get my information from the internet or what people are sharing with me. Um, I don't stream. I honestly don't have, um, I have my free MLS subscription because of Apple TV. Oh, okay. And so, um, whenever the games are, I'm like, oh, soccer's on, like, let me see what's going on. Um, I root for the LA Galaxy and not the LAF, not the... (laughs) Um, the LA, LAFC, right? Is it LAFC? Uh, is that... one, of, one of my very close friends, uh, Jose. Uh, shout out to Jose. Uh, he's an LAFC fan. I've been a, a Galaxy fan for forever. Oh, and the tickets are expensive, y'all. I hear that. Oh, yeah? So, um, Galaxy games are more trio budget friendly. Um, <laughs> but um, And it's fun. I like going down to soccer games in general are cool. Um but honestly, y'all, I don't, I'm not a streaming person. Um, my go-to shows um, during the week are Golden Girls on the Hallmark Channel um, from 7 to 10 here on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> there's nothing better for me to just be at home, like I said, and just do nothing and sit for three hours or change the channel here and there and watch Golden Girls because I think it's still relevant. You know, to this day, um, there's this episode where they get all nervous because um, uh, the first President Bush is coming to visit them at their house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just all of the jokes that they say is like, it's such a classic. Um, my other go-to show is Married with Children. Um, I think it's the first show growing up that um, as a kid in the way that I grew up really resonated with me. Like the you know, Al who worked in the shoe store and the wife who didn't do anything but spend his money, um, (laughs) their humble beginnings. It was just like, 
you know, at the time, I always grew up watching the Cosby show and the spinoff of A Different World and, you know, A Living Color and things like that. And there's just something about Married with Children that I think if you grew up low income, it, you understood it. Yeah. Like, no, no, yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's something that resonated there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't stream, y'all. I... I may sign up for uh, Amazon Prime so I can watch the Jose Hernandez watch party this week um, for Trio. Um, but I'm at the Amazon kind of. Um, so I may end up buying like or borrowing my coworkers Amazon account. Or there just, you go. That's one just way bite it in the bullet and just <laughs> sign up for a free trial. Certainly. Uh, Horacio, what is one word you would use to describe yourself? Only one word. Uh, oh, my God. Only one word. Shoot. Was this one of the questions you sent? No. I'm yes. <laughs> uh, I see Miss glossed that one over. Um, you know, I'm going to use a word that we say in the trio world, and I'm going to say persistent. Persistent. I love that. So that's going to be yeah. the title of your podcast. We're going to use that as a title. Yeah. The other title of my podcast, I was playing around with my coworker, Wally. Um, I wanted to do... I secretly want to do a podcast called La Neta because I saw the phrasing on Instagram and in in, in English, La Neta translates to the truth. Mm. And so um, I was like, oh, fun, fun joke. Like, I want to do a podcast called La Neta and we would just talk about the truth around like certain issues and things like that. But yeah, persist, persistent, the persistent podcast would work for me, Juan. <laughs> yes, th this, that's going to definitely be the title of this episode. So... <laughs> I love that. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Awesome. Um, Horacio, it has been a true pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. So it would be morning still over there in California or because it's afternoon for me, I think. Oh, um, it's 1230 here. So it's definitely afternoon for us. Okay. So I hope, uh, thank you again for sharing your trio journey with us. I hope to have you on again. That would be wonderful to have you on again. Oh, yes, Juan, I would love it. Um, if you want to do a shorter version of the podcast, I can get more people from the Upper Bound team to... Hey, that would be wonderful. You no, know, do a two-for-one. Um, I'll definitely share with my team that I was on your podcast, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to bringing more people from West Stock. That would be uh, great. To be part of your podcast. So I'm, um, I'm glad that y'all have this platform. I wish that it continues to be a success. So I'm really proud of y'all, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, so, Horacio, we have a tradition on the Let's Talk Trio podcast where we have the guests sign off. Do you care to do the honors? Uh, yes, Juan, I definitely will. Um, this is Horacio Seves, and I am a Trio alum of the Upper Bound program from Occidental College. And I currently serve as the Associate Director for Upper Bound here at Oxy. I'm here to remind Trio Nation to contact your elected officials on the national, state, and local level and let them know about the impact you're having on first generation students and students from underrepresented groups. Um, here's to an amazing National First Generation Day celebration in November. And always remember Trio Works. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. That was our guest, Horacio Aceves 
from the Trio Upward Bound program at Occidental College. Horacio, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your trio journey. Remember, if you would like to be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast or know a staff, advocate, participant, or alumni, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Dr. Jamie Motley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Angelica Valdez, Felicia Rivera, Rosario Riley, TrioJobList.com, Nosotros Education Center, Jaded Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of Let's Talk Trio podcast in one of three ways. Become a monthly patron on Patreon. Our base patron level starts at a dollar a month. If you own a business and would like to sponsor the podcast, send us an email so we can give you sponsorship packages. Become a supporter with a one-time donation to the podcast PayPal account. Our handle is at Let's Talk Trio. That handle one more time is at Let's Talk Trio. I'd like to take a moment to thank our honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, Scott Kendall, and Susan Cramp. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer and composer, and post-production editor. Amelia Castañeda, script supervisor, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. This episode was recorded Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Always be sure to exercise your right to vote. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.